Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Peter Sampson with the Bald Face Truth. Welcome into the program. Peter Sampson in for Canzano. It's the Bald Face Truth. Coming at you live from the beautiful Pac West Center here in downtown Portland. Got a great show for you today. So much to get to on this beautiful Tuesday in the Northwest. It's going to be a hot one today. Hope you're staying cool. If you were listening in Portland to that uh, sports update that Stephen Vaughn gave as we led into the program, you you heard a clip from the uh, home run derby yesterday. It's interesting, a little bit of controversy going on regarding the home run derby today. I didn't catch this in real time. If you caught yesterday's show, we were kind of all wowed by uh, Julio Rodriguez, what he was uh, putting on. Just an amazing show while we were doing the program. Of course, he ended up not winning Juan Soto ended up uh, winning the home run derby but it was not without controversy here it looked like it was a great moment for baseball Twitter was uh, aflame with the uh, performance that uh, that uh, Julio Rodriguez was uh, putting up but a little bit of an issue so first of all Kyle Schwarber had a crucial home run that didn't actually count. It looks like Little League outfielders weren't the only ones dropping the ball last night. So ESPN, who televised the event, and MLB officials scoring the contest incorrectly kept track of the Derby. So both the broadcast and MLB miscounted some crucial swings from the bat that affected not only the Derby results, but I think most importantly to a lot of people, the pockets of plenty of people watching from home that had maybe put a couple of bucks on the event. And it happened more than once. So first, You have Albert Pujols and Kyle Schwarber. They're battling each other because, you know, it's a bracketed format. Pujols was awarded 20 home runs to 19 home runs victory over Kyle Schwarber. It was quickly revealed that a Schwarber home run, which would have been number 18, was not counted. So that should have ended in a tie, sending Pujols and Schwarber into a sudden death overtime. Obviously, that was not the case. Pujols advanced. That allowed plenty of sports books to cash in. Schwarber was one of the betting favorites to win it. Ended up being eliminated in the first round. And to me, look, a similar situation, most critically, uh, in my opinion, occurred in the finals. So Juan Soto eventually walked away with the Derby crown. He ended up topping Seattle's Julio Rodriguez, who was just money in the first two rounds. He had 32 and 31 in the first two rounds to advance. As Soto was continuing to swing for the fences, he was actually doing so against home run derby rules. The rules state that pitchers need to wait to throw until the previous hit ball has landed. And I watched a replay of this when I saw this news kind of pop up that a bunch of betters are really upset. This was ignored multiple times during his derby winning at bat. Soto basically just plowed through. He had 19 home runs, 
And a lot of these took place after the home plate umpire could be seen holding his hands up, urging the pitcher to stop while Rodriguez finished with one less. So basically he wins 19 to 18 and multiple home runs. The pitch shouldn't have even been thrown here. Now, a one home run difference might seem insignificant to some, but if you had money on Julio Rodriguez, who was plus 850 versus Soto is plus 650, that's a significant difference in payout, period, let alone the fact that, man, Soto had more than two of these hit when he shouldn't have been allowed to uh, see a pitch. That's potentially the difference right there. Now, I did not have money on this event. This is a big event. Uh, betting wise, you know, I mean, I know it's an exhibition. It's a slow sports season this week. There's not a lot going on. I know a lot of, uh, I'll politely call them degenerates. A lot of people that like to get down, get some action, try to find some interest in all-star weekend. The Homer and Derby is a great thing to bet on. It really is. But if we're going to have millions, dare I see billions put down on events like this, don't we have to do it correctly? I mean, come on. I didn't put anything down. I've put money down before on the home run derby. If I had money on Julio Rodriguez, I would be livid right now. And if I had money on Juan Soto, I'd feel like I just stole some cash from the sports books. And it feels like I want to bring Sean McPherson, Stephen Vaughn into this, uh, both hanging out in the control room here today at the Pac West Center. Man, I, I know both you guys like to throw a few bucks down on an event from time to time. Man, if money is actually changing hands here, we got to follow the rules, don't we? I mean, especially watching Rodriguez, who looks like he was destined to win this thing from like his third swing in the first round. It looks like he kind of got robbed here. No, no doubt. And I, I didn't have any money on it, but I know my brother did. And he had Julio Rodriguez as well. He got so robbed. He got robbed and he was not happy about it. He was texting me the whole time like this. This sucks. Like what is going on? Like this should be happening. But that's the thing is. They have these rules, and I know it's an exhibition, like you said, but if, if they have rules and they're going to allow betting markets, they got to kind of follow the rules. But I, the question for me is, Peter and Sean, like, how hard is it if you're ESPN to have someone following the baseball and just counting? Like, that's not hard. I don't understand how they can have an event like this and just not even get the number right. Like, it should be so easy. First of all, uh, let's let's not let's not call people degenerates for summer gambling. <laughs> it's a uh, it's dark days in sports right now, That's and true, uh, man. you know we're all looking for entertainment. It's hot outside. To days like this, it's too hot outside to even be hanging out out there, in my opinion. So, uh, yeah, I'm just I'm just playing with you, Peter. But uh, I, look, professional sports leagues can't uh, have it both ways, right? If they're gonna make all this money off DraftKings and FanDuel and all of the sports gambling partnerships, then they have to design their events, their games the home run derby, the dunk contest, whatever the case may be, knowing that people bet on this stuff. So it has to be organized. It has to be it has to be designed in a way that it's easy to gamble on and that there's no real, you know, semantics that can make it you may, you know, a little bit subjective. So uh again, like Major League Baseball probably makes a ton of money off people gambling on their sport, obviously. So you got to you got to create the home run derby in a way that uh people aren't getting pissed off after 
uh, Julio Rodriguez gets robbed. Yeah, and that's the real issue to me is if, look, if we're just calling it an exhibition and you can't get odds on it and it is what it is and we're all just having some fun and, oh, I got robbed but I'm going to shake your hand anyway and laugh it off and let's have a good time, that's one thing. But, again, if I'm going to be bombarded with DraftKings commercials, I mean, it, exactly. it's infiltrated sports so much. They're encouraging people to put money on this. And so on one hand, they're saying, hey, hey, you can get some action. Like watching ESPN right now, I have the pre-All-Star Game festivities on, not at this exact moment, but I guarantee before this segment is over, I'm going to see betting odds scroll on that bottom ticker. They're telling me, hey, this is how you can get down. This is the action you can get. Here's how you can do it. If they're going to encourage me to do that, they have to do it in a way that's fair because I, I don't know the the uh, full numbers. I don't know how many millions of dollars were people were just they just lost their money when they shouldn't have. And you can't have it both ways. And if you're trying to encourage betting and I like betting, I, I'm kidding when I say degenerates because I do it myself. It's a great way to get, you know, make things a little bit more interesting. If I'm not a big baseball fan, for example, I am. But if I'm not, hey, this is the only thing on right now. It's it's ESPN. And it's a good time. Oh, this will be kind of fun. I'm just I'm gonna take a quick look at the odds. Oh, I know that guy's name. Yeah, I'll just put five or ten bucks down and see what happens. Julio Rodriguez, man, he was fire. It would have been a great story. And not to mention, Julio Rodriguez probably personally feels robbed. And I'll tell you why. Because he only, I say only, relatively speaking, makes $700,000 this year. He's still on that cheap, cheap rookie contract. He would have made a million dollars if he had won. He would have made more than he's going to make this entire season. He's trying to get that first payday, and he had it taken away from him. So he was robbed. Betters were robbed. And to me, fellas, it kind of just puts a little bit of, of a stain on an event that I don't really take seriously. But I'll be real. I was having fun watching this last night. It's great for baseball, and then we have this come out today. Well, we talked about it yesterday, just like the young stars of baseball. Juan Soto, 23, Julio, 21. Like, it was fun to watch those guys play and be awesome. Like, Julio looks, you know, the fact that Julio Rodriguez did so well, like, he is a star now in Major League Baseball. Everybody that follows baseball know who he is. And it's just a shame that it ends this way in controversy when it could have just been a nice showcase of young baseball players like trying to build the game a little bit. And you talked about the gambling part, Peter. I mean, it's, it's not just the TV networks. MLB has a deal with uh, BetMGM, with MGM Resorts. Like, yeah. They are the official sponsors of the betting uh, betting side to Major League Baseball. And I just looked up this little press release, and it says, you know, BetMGM will work together with MLB on uh, work together in responsible gaming measures and protecting the integrity of baseball. Well, they're not doing it, right? And so that's the main part about gambling. It's like you got to keep that integrity. And so when things like this happen, that's when people get tuned off. Yeah, it's 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 a major problem. And they they not every sport needs to get it right. Don't get me wrong. We we see things like this across sports. But especially in baseball, I, I kind of relate it to yesterday's conversation about the uh, the track and field event where uh, uh, I'm blanking Devin on Allen. Devin Allen, where he he sort of got robbed with the uh, the so-called false start where he, he, he didn't jump the gun, but basically he had too quick of a reaction time. These sports that are really trying to draw people in. This isn't the NFL. This isn't even the NBA. I mean, it's Major League Baseball. It's track and field. You can't shoot yourself in the foot this way. And I feel like MLB did that. Right. I, we're talking about some of the biggest nights of the entire year yeah. of the sport. The Home Run Derby is a huge deal. Like the Home Run Derby 
uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that got more ratings than just a regular season game, even, you know, even a MLB on Sunday night, ESPN. Oh, I'm I feel sure. like the Home Run Derby probably did better. So it's really important when you're trying to grow a sport, when you're trying to bring in a casual audience, uh, that you don't screw these things up. But let me say, I mean, it does seem like a lot of the night was a success other than this rule thing that affected a lot of gambling and it affected the ultimate winner. Uh, you know, I'm someone that doesn't really follow baseball. I, I, I'm kind of a weirdo for it. I'm in sports media. I just have a complete blind spot when it comes to Major League no, Baseball. You're, you're normal. Can't, can't name a lot of players. <laughs> However, it's my understanding that last night put a, a huge shine on Juan Soto, who is in my, you know, from my understanding, one of the best players in the yes, league, yes. currently going through a trade, you know, Kevin Durant type situation from what I understand. So a lot of spotlight on Juan Soto right now. A lot of spotlight on uh, Julio Rodriguez, 14-game winning streak. A lot of spotlight on Albert Pujols, who's kind of a legend in the game. So it seems like, you know, they're they're marketing the right guys, and it, it feels like there was a spotlight on the, the correct people that you want to market. And, uh, you know, from a casual fan's perspective, it seems like it was kind of a good night otherwise. Yeah, it, it, until we got to the end. Basically, baseball did all the things right, except they got the result wrong. You have to get the result right, again, especially when money's on the line. So I agree you you had the new blood because we talked yesterday. Look, should you just stick, uh, accept that you have an older demographic and really target them and tailor to them and, oh, we have Miguel Cabrera and Albert Pujols, even though they really shouldn't be all-stars, we're going to honor them? Or should we have a Julio Rodriguez and a Ronald Acuna Jr. and all these young up-and-coming sluggers? And and baseball, in that regard, did a good job of sort of uh, sort of straddling both lines. They, they really did a good job appealing to everyone, and I like that because, look, I'm someone that I want the game to succeed. It's, it, it's a beautiful game. It's the best game, in my opinion. It's not the best league. NBA is the best league. But Major League Baseball, it's, it's just a beautiful game, and they do everything they can to ruin this game. And they've been doing it for... I don't know, since the late 80s, the mid 90s, somewhere around there, it's gotten worse and worse and worse. And what seemed like just a really fun event, like finally, man, we're all tuned into this. My Twitter timeline, you know how little baseball I get on my Twitter timeline, despite it being essentially exclusively sports? Very, very little. And it was hopping with baseball takes. And then at the end of the day, it's like, man, they couldn't even get this right. What? It's such a weird part of the schedule just of the sports year because there's nothing else going on. Like, baseball could really take advantage of it. And you're right. Like, they were taking advantage of it until the very end when people go back and watch it. They're like, well, you you can't even count. Like, it's the basic things. Like, just count baseballs going over the fence, and it would have been a great night, but they can't even do that. Yeah, it's it's wild. And so, I mean, what's interesting is I want to find out who is exactly – because ESPN and Major League Baseball, as I understand it, had it wrong. And I know it's one of those things that ESPN, you know, Kanzano says it all the time. It's an event company. It's not a TV channel anymore. It's an event company. So do they have the final call on this? Does Major League Baseball take their cues from the broadcasting team? How did they all get this wrong? Well, I, yeah, that's the, the weird part. And I know I read things on Twitter uh, about Kyle Schrober and the betting market is that Mo, he had the most amount of money bet on him to beat Pujols in that first yeah. round, and so a lot of people did lose because of that. So that's you know that's the main reason why. Like he was a big favorite, but people knew like oh you know Pujols is forty two years old allegedly, and, uh, <laughs> and he's uh, you know he's not gonna win right. So Schwarber's gonna kill him. But then this happens, and now all this money goes away. So yeah, like it just it's, it boggles my mind that they can't get this right and. We continue to bet these exhibition things. Like I didn't have any money on it last night, yeah. but it's not just because I, you know, I just I had other things going on. I didn't want to do anything, but 
It's like, I'm going to bet on other exhibition things that don't matter and don't have real rules and nobody follows them. See, the comp- the conspiracy theorist in me can look at that Pujols-Schwarber matchup and go, oh, we're honoring Pujols the last time. We're going to get him to the next round. It's the Soto-Rodriguez thing, yeah. the actual final of the event, affecting the outcome at the, the point of outcome that really drives me crazy. And so I'm, I'm not going to say it was malicious in that, hey, man, we need to do everything we can so we can get that scene of everyone hugging Pujols and waving the towel in his face to cool him off, which we saw. Yesterday, it was a great move uh, moment. I wouldn't be surprised if that was sort of planned. Yeah. But again, the, the, affecting the actual betting outcome. It's one thing if you get a bad beat and some dude cashes a three-pointer in garbage time with three seconds left that screws you. It's part of betting. Frankly, it's why they call it betting and not investing. But something like this where they clearly altered the outcome just through I'm going to be nice and call it incompetence not maliciousness man it, it can't happen yeah it can't happen and that that leads me to my last question on this one Peter is like do you like the format of the bracket style or do you want them to go back to the old school way of who has the most home runs because Julio Rodriguez hit 81 home runs and Juan Soto was in the mid 50s I believe yeah. but Soto wins like that to me that's wrong like Rodriguez won the night he should have been the champion of the home run derby, but he wasn't just because of the weird style that they do. Yeah, I'd kind of like it to go back to just uh, you can have the multiple rounds, but you just tally them up. I yeah. used to watch the old uh, I don't even remember what channel this was on. Man, this was like the late 80s through the, the mid 90s on some channel might have even been ESPN, but you used to be able to watch the classic home run derbies. Man, they were in black and white. Yeah. And you'd see like Mays and Mantle and Aaron and Eddie Matthews and guys like that. And I would love for them just to go back to that format. It doesn't have to be single at bat. You get so many pitches or so many swings or so much time. They can do whatever they want there. You get three minutes. There's three rounds. You get 20 swings, three rounds. I I don't care. But I do like the idea of a total because, yeah, Julio Rodriguez, not only did he actually win it, in the the he should have won it. I mean, he won last night's yeah. derby, but under the old school system, he obliterated everyone and it wasn't even close, man. Yeah, and the thing is Soto had to beat Albert Pujols in the second round. Julio goes against Pete Alonso, the two time champ, and yeah. he beats it. Like it's just it just seems like a weird style. And I, it was a good gimmick for a while, but again, MLB's got to change some things around. They just sometimes they just run things into the ground and it, it bothers me. The home run derby is iconic, the slam dunk contest is iconic. And yet, it feels like they're always changing these things up. They're yeah. always changing the format. Same with the All-Star game for the MLB. You know, we, we see some funky rules for tonight. The NBA All-Star game, uh, I'm not even going to include the Pro Bowl because the Pro Bowl's always been a joke. But I'm just saying, like, the dunk contest, the home run derby, like, these are things that people look forward to every year. These are things that have produced some historic moments, and yet they always they always get goofy with these rules. Yeah. And I, I wonder why it is. If you have to keep things fresh, like I, I wonder if they would just do better if they just kept it the same every time. I think it would be, and I wonder if that's an aspect of trying to just get more eyeballs. Because, look, you tweak something, it gets tweeted about, you get articles. No matter where you grab your sports coverage, there's going to be a little blurb about it. And you go, huh, I'm going to check that out. Where if it's just the same old, same old, you might not be inclined to do that if you're the average fan and look a lot of these changes are for the worse uh some of them are better man the the nba all-star game with the uh the the fourth quarter i forget what they call that yeah there you go yeah i love that because man it's just a ridiculous no defense exhibition until the fourth quarter and then let's go so you get a little bit of everything there but yeah they do sort of just make all these changes and it feels like sometimes it's not for the better well i will say tonight 
if you know, I'm not gonna be watching the All Star game, but I'll be checking Twitter. And if it goes to extra innings by the end of the game, and they do the home run derby, like I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm tur- I'm flipping it on. I I'm watching it on will. my phone. But like, I don't care about the actual game until the eighth inning. If it's tied, I'll flip it on because I want to watch what happens that home run derby if he has to go extra innings. I feel like it's gonna happen. Yeah. I, I feel like whenever something like that happen, like they they say if this happens and it gets all this hype, it ends it up ends up happening. Conspiracy, yeah. conspiracy, yeah, yeah exactly, we'll man. We'll see. And Pujols is going to be the guy to hit the game winner. Oh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's be real, it won't be a National League team. They've lost eight in a row. Uh, but man, were you affected by this? Did you get down on the home run derby and get screwed? I'll take your thoughts. 503-417-7575. Of course, always on Twitter at Peter Sampson. Look, I get it. You might be at work right now. In fact, you're probably at work right now maybe you got a micromanaging boss i get it i've been there maybe they'll frown upon you jumping on the phone and screaming about your gambling losses in your cubicle i get that too you can thumb out a tweet to peter sampson s-a-m-p-s-o-n it's a good way to participate in the program Coming up next, John Canzano had another great column today regarding the Pac-12. Of course, we had the news yesterday. I don't remember. I think that might have been during the Portland-only show that this came out. But uh, the Big 12 informed the Pac-12 last night that it is not interested in merging. I'll share Canzano's thoughts there. Look, it's his show. We always have to make him part of the show, even when he's relaxing at home or running camp exceptional. Peter Sampson in for JC. It's the BFT on the BFT Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. You're listening to the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. Last night, the news came out. The Big 12 informed the Pac-12 that it is not interested in merging. I, some Zoom conversations had happened over the weekend. Officials for both conferences had some conversations. Uh, ultimately, the Big 12 decided that the deal didn't work for them uh, for a multitude of reasons. Uh, the big one to me is there any potential deal looked like it just didn't really drive much revenue for the Big 12. Uh, John Canzano at johnconzano.com. If you're not subscribed, you should be. There are free options. Get them just delivered to your e- email inbox basically every day. I don't want to say he has a column every day, but it feels like he has a column every day. I just don't want to say that and then have you be like, no, oh man, last Thursday there wasn't one. So give me a break. But that being said, uh, he shared his thoughts. Uh, first of all, it's no real surprise. Uh, he kind of discusses uh, the idea that this merger, it felt like wishful thinking from the be- the, the beginning. And ultimately, yeah, there is strength in numbers, but do they actually fit together? Do they mesh in a way that works for both entities? And so the Pac-12, of course, you have to remove USC and UCLA uh, from the markets. They have about 12.5 million TV households now that they've lost LA. The Big 12 only has about 10.2, but it's going to expand to over 15 million once it adds BYU, Central Florida, Cincinnati, and Houston. So you got to keep those numbers in mind. And if you're looking at maybe doing a deal with, uh, say, the ACC, the ACC has 28 million households. Its TV markets are superior to the Big 12. Frankly, it's not even close. The ACC also already has a partnership with ESPN. Now, ESPN 
talk about them be, being an event company, and that's true. They also are a television network, and they want inventory in the Pacific time zone. And so kind of wondered for a while how the Big 12 might fit in a new deal between ESPN and the Pac-12, and it turns out the answer is it doesn't. So uh, the university presidents and chancellors from both conferences just didn't feel like a seamless fit. And those that lead the Pac-12 campuses sort of fashion themselves as academics, right? And they lined up with the Big Ten over the years because of that. Now, Canzano has been writing and talking about a loose partnership, and I want to put that in quotes there, between the Pac-12 and the ACC for a few weeks. And he still believes that everything is still headed in that direction. You know, the Big 12's TV contract isn't up until 2025. The Pac-12's expires in 2024, but it's open negotiations early. We, we remember when that news came out. Uh, I got the press release. I guess it was two weeks ago, just sort of out of nowhere, right after that news broke about UCLA and USC. Then all of a sudden they're like, yeah, we agreed to go ahead and just start uh, conversations for a new TV deal early. Now, Gonzano's talked to a few people in the industry, and they've told him this difference should not have been a deal breaker, but it is being cited as one of the reasons. The Big 12's TV contract up in 2025, the Pac-12's in 2024, but having open negotiations early. And he spoke to Bob Thompson, former president of Fox Sports Networks, last night. And Thompson said if the Big 12 TV partners agreed to open negotiations early, that could easily happen before 2024. Basically, there's nothing that precludes an early negotiation as long as the parties agree. So ultimately, they could have done something there. So it just sounds like a merger wasn't a good fit. Thompson went on to say, you know, at this point, you're just now going to see if somebody decides to play uh, let's poach some teams if anyone decides to play that game. Of course, the Big 12, there was speculation really they might chase Arizona State, Arizona, Utah, and Colorado. Uh, media reports about that were shot down uh, by JC's Pac-12 sources. I mean, there's no guarantee that that wouldn't happen, but it, it sounds like that's uh, not on the table. Uh, so Kanzano won't speak for all four of those schools, but there's kind of a prevailing sentiment from ADs within the Pac-12 that the remaining 10 universities are going to stick together and try to ride out that current media rights negotiation. So the Big 12 programs uh, that uh, JC thinks the Pac-12 would be most interested in are Kansas, Baylor, TCU, and Houston. So if the Pac-12 actually goes hunting and tries to add someone, uh, he expects those universities to be primary targets. That's Kansas, Baylor, TCU, and Houston. And the reason that he includes Kansas in that is uh, it goes back to ESPN. And doesn't this all seem to go back to ESPN or or, uh, or Fox, essentially? ESPN would want men's basketball matchups featuring the ACC's Duke and North Carolina and the Pac-12's Arizona and Oregon. Kansas would be an interesting addition there. So the Pac-12 is in exclusive negotiating period with ESPN and Fox. That window is going to expire next month. That's August 4th. You're, you're going to want to keep an eye on that date. But the parties could come to an agreement before then. So August 4th is sort of that magic date before that window closes. ESPN is the likely bidder there. You think about what they need, and it has to think about the, the restless members in the ACC and how you might be able to throw them some additional revenue right now. Hey, everything's okay. Here's a little bit of extra money. We're all cool. So a partnership with the Pac-12 makes sense there, right? Pac-12 and ACC, and you can kind of share some revenue there where sharing revenue with the Big 12 doesn't make as much sense. So we're coming up on this. It, I do want to uh, let you know as you listen, uh, Pac-12 Media Day, 
is at the end of the month. It's July 29th in L.A. Uh, this show will be there. Kanzano's going to be there. We're going to have, just like he always does, basically every name you can possibly imagine, we are going to have them on the show. The coaches, do not be surprised. I want to be clear. It's not confirmed or anything, but really don't be surprised if Commissioner Klyovkov is, uh, is available there. And also don't be surprised if Klyovkov has something of substance to announce. Because if anyone needs to sell something to the public at a big event like that, it's George Klyovkov at Pac-12 Media Day on July 29th. So even though that that uh, sort of drop dead date for this window is August 4th, Media Day is the 29th. Then with the Pac-12, Pac-10, whatever you want to call it, is sort of in disarray right now. I think that would be the perfect day to maybe at least sort of just put a Band-Aid on this and make everyone feel good again. So, guys, uh, obviously the Big 12 not happening. The ACC, it makes sense to me. Yeah, and you talked about just make a statement, right, for Klyakov. Brett Yormark, the Big 12 commissioner at the Big 12 media day, he made some pretty big you know, proclamations saying we're going to go after teams, we're going to be aggressive, you know, this isn't over. Like, we were going to make some plays. So you're right. Like, Klyakov needs to come out and put out a good statement. He doesn't have to say, you know, we're going to go poach teams or whatever. It's got to bring some type of confidence because the Pac-12 doesn't ever have that, right? And you talked about the teams that the Pac-12 would be interested with Kansas. You know, and ESPN would want a team like Kansas for basketball. They have Big Monday, which is always an ACC game at uh, 4 p.m. and then a Big 12 at 6 p.m. So they love to have Kansas on those Mondays. So that's it would be a big, uh, big thing to try to get that school just for the – uh, college basketball as well, but yeah, I mean, you're right. It's it's the ACC for me. I think we, me and Sean talked about this when you were gone, Peter, on the polls of what the best case scenarios for the Pac-12 would be. And for me, it's got to be the it's got to be the ACC. Some type of connection there, just because then you're reaching out to the East Coast. You're going to get another valuable game. You can kind of, as Gonzalez talked about, maybe get you know an ACC champion versus a Pac-12 champion, a champion champions game to get even one more game for football. But football, a good. Uh, Get a good win for you. Try to get the cultural playoffs. So, yeah, it's it's the ACC for me, Sean. Yeah, the ACC is huge. I mean, the ACC we're talking about in football, schools like Miami, Florida State, Clemson, and then in basketball, schools like North Carolina and Duke. So that would be a huge win to be able to uh, merge with them. You know, I, my, my line of thinking is, you know, it, it makes sense for football, maybe men's basketball, but then every other sport, like, yeah. you know, you're traveling from Eugene to uh, Coral Gables, Florida. So, it, uh, it just doesn't – none of it makes sense to me when it comes to non-football sports. You know, it's one thing when it comes to uh, to football, and obviously those athletes are – football is just a different beast, and men's basketball is kind of like that too. But, man, uh, an ACC partnership makes makes sense besides the geographic part of it. Um, and then, I you know, I've been seeing some buzz about Boise State as well. I don't mm, know if you yeah. guys read about that on John Wilner's uh, Twitter today. but I Or, no, sorry, San excuse Diego me, State. San Diego State. Yeah, yeah Diego but State. I – you know, I think San Diego State and Boise State, if the Pac-12 is looking to upgrade some Mountain West schools, um, both of those teams have more than formidable football programs. Boise State's been one of the most winningest programs over the past couple of decades. San Diego State's got a really good basketball program. They have a uh, another one of the most, uh, I, I don't know the exact number when it comes to San Diego State, but, I mean, Kawhi Leonard came through there, yeah. and uh, it's not just him. You know, they've, they've won some basketball games as, as well, so... Uh, look, an ACC partnership seems to make a lot of sense, but I also, you know, I'm warming up to the fact that, uh, you know, the Pac-12 could maybe add for every sport, 
Boise State, San Diego State. I think those two schools make a lot of sense. Yeah, it's an interesting idea. So uh, more to come on that. August 4th is when the window closes, but Pac-12 Media Day, July 29th. We will have that live on this very show. So, so far we've talked betting. We've talked college football. Uh, Coming up next, we're going to put those two topics together. Leave it here. Welcome back to the program. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. It's the bald-faced truth. So it's no surprise. A lot of money coming in on Alabama and Ohio State to uh, win the national championship. But uh, at one Vegas sports book, the Superbook at uh, Westgate Las Vegas. This is wild to me. Uh, the USC Trojans. Uh, are bringing in the most money to win at their national title odds because they've improved from 40 to one to 25 to one. They have the sixth best championship odds. Look, fellas, I understand Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams. uh, Oh, I'm blanking on that wide receiver's name. Jordan Addison. Jordan, thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, look, they added some nice pieces. Actually, they added some phenomenal pieces. But, man, they were 4-8 and eight last year. I still need to see it. I think uh, I think maybe betters are getting a little too hyped on USC. I mean, really? Really? USC? Not not Alabama? Not Ohio State? Not even Georgia? I know Georgia is going to be reloaded. I know they lost so much of their defense. But, yeah, not just more money, but more bets, too. I think, uh, I think SoCal fans getting a little ahead of themselves there. The, the interesting thing about this is we've never seen this in college football. We've seen in college basketball the transfer portal being used and being used successfully, right? Like yep. even when Gonzaga made the national title, they had Jonathan Williams on their team who was a transfer. We've seen it be successful in basketball. We've never seen an overhaul in football, and that's exactly what USA did, USC did. They were 4-8 a season ago, terrible. They have a whole new roster, and it's a lot of guys from a lot of different schools with a coach that's really good, right? We know Lincoln Riley is a good coach. But we don't know if it's all going to gel together. And I think that's the big question. But the thing about USC is if they are good and somehow they do go 11-1, and one, they're going to get the benefit of the doubt because they are USC. Now, I'm with you, Peter. I, I don't see any chance that they win the national championship. I could see them competing for the Pac-12, but they're going to have two or three losses in my opinion. This is, uh, yeah, I this this upsets me. This is the <laughs> USC USC's uh, – emergence as a top college football contender is uh something that upsets me because in no other sport can you go from four and eight complete dysfunction for not only last season but they've been dysfunctional for quite a while with the uh with the occasional good year um but ever since Pete Carroll they've been it's been a lot of dysfunction with them and suddenly because of NIL because of the transfer portal because that they you know they they landed a new coach who was kind of a big splash Suddenly, they're one of the top contenders to win a to win the college football title in one season in a poof. That happens in no other sport. No, uh, no other sport can you just turn around in one season like that. So it's it's very upsetting. And just one other thing, like you look at gambling odds in college football right now. Like in what other sport? And I'm sounding like just a college football. Uh, I'm just bagging on college football. Like I like college football, but there's some things that upset me right now. Alabama's plus one eighty, yeah. plus one eighty before the season begins. That, what does that say about competition and, you know, inequality among teams? And yet Nick Saban's the one that I'm always hearing about complaining about yeah. inequality. 
They're plus 180. You look at other odds in other sports, you know, like it's probably 6-1 to one for next season's NBA uh, champion. Same with the NFL, probably 6-1. to one. You look at college basketball, it's it's probably 8-1, to 9-1 to one for who's going to win it. Plus 180 followed by plus 350 for Ohio State. And then it drops off Georgia's up there as well. But, man, uh, just a, a lot of things when we talk about gambling odds, when we talk about USC's emergence, when we talk about Alabama, just uh, just uh, it bugs me with college football. Yeah, a lot of people are saying this Alabama team specifically is their, like, best team in a decade. And you're uh, like, man, really? Come on. Give me a break. Returning Heisman Trophy winner. I mean, I guess it could Will be. Will Anderson. Yeah. I'm going to push back on you, Sean, a little bit. I, I think a lot of sports, there's a lot of uh, – What's the word I'm looking for? Just uh, teams that can come out of nowhere, right? You look at the NFL, Cincinnati made the Super Bowl last season. They were terrible the year before. You look even in this year in NBA, Golden State didn't make the playoffs the year before. Now they won the NBA Finals. Like, I think it happens a lot more than you think it does. So for USC, I understand the reasons why. I don't believe that they have a chance, but I think teams do, especially now because there is so much money and there's so much change. Like, teams can change on a dime, and you get a couple pieces that you can, you know, get better. It feels like they just bought their team a little bit. I'm sorry. Like I, I, it just it feels like you know Cincinnati. They drafted Joe Burrow, right? And, you know, and they they drafted Jamar Chase. They made some really good moves. It doesn't feel like USC is a top college football contender because of some really smart moves that they've made. It feels like they made themselves a really big brand. They made a good hire with Lincoln Riley, and suddenly Jordan Addison. And, and you know, I, and I don't I don't want to bag on the individual athletes. Yeah, like, of course, they have the right to move to wherever they want. But it's just frustrating that same thing with like Texas A and M. Texas, Miami, all these teams because of NIL and the transfer portal right now, like in a flash, you know, after years of incompetence are on top of the college football world and are going to be really good this year. Yeah, it, man, and it's going to keep going. I just saw Texas Tech, they just had an NIL deal. It was all 85 of their scholarship players and 15 walk-ons. It's not a crazy amount of money individually. It's 25000 bucks, And for a college student, especially, you're not even a starter, and yeah. you're going to get twenty five grand. Like, that's amazing. And if you're choosing a school and going, man, I know I'm not good enough to be a star, a D1 starter, but I can go here and I can just, you know, be a substitute. I can play football for four more years, three more years, whatever it's going to be. And I can have a decent amount of walking around money at the end of the day. I mean, that's a huge advantage to bolster your reserves. Maybe not. You're not going to get, you know, a Heisman candidate for 25 grand, but you're going to get a lot of good role players for that. But let, and let's just say you go to a smaller school, you know, whether it is, you know, a division two or even you yeah. know, a small school like uh, I'm just trying to think of one, you know, Louisiana, the sure. Raging Cajuns, and you're good. You're going to get offered by bigger schools. And you're going to get money. How would how can you turn that down? Right. You're not going to get that NIL money at those small schools. But, yeah, I'm going to go to Texas Tech and get twenty five thousand dollars because I can now because I'm good enough. So. It's really hard for the small schools to compete in this world for sure. Like, you're right, Sean. USC is buying their championship. But, like, that's the world of college football right now. Yeah. It's yeah, all it's about really it. sad. It's really sad, right? Like, imagine being Pitt. In Pitt, they groomed Jordan Addison. They recruited Jordan Addison. And, you know, he, he went through the highs and lows with Pitt. And now because of the transfer portal, because of NIL, he waved goodbye. And, you know, I'm not going to blame Jordan Addison. Like, he did what was best for him. But it's it's the same thing with uh, some schools – or so, yeah, some schools in our area. You know, your Oregon States, your Washington States. Not only are they at an, a bit of a disadvantage with NIL, but now you got the conference realignment stuff, and we're worried that they might get left behind a little bit. So 
a lot of uh, just recent college football policies kind of favor the big dog a little bit. And, they, you know, they favor the USC's and not so much the, the Pitts or the Oregon States, which is sad. Yeah, it is. And, uh, I mean, to get off USC and talk about Alabama there, plus 180, I mean, it's always been Alabama. But you made a great point. It's always Nick Saban talking about, man, this NIL, it's a rum, 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 rum. And then it's like, man, give me a it, break, dude. Yeah. Just now, because now some other schools look and we don't like it. I don't like the way it's being done. But now some other schools can actually compete and get some of these guys that you would have gotten otherwise. And, oh, no, it's a problem. Rum, rum, rum. Man, give me a break. It's not the first time he's done this, right? Like, it won't it, be the last. Yeah, it's when Oregon was coming up and they were going with that, you know, this blur offense. He was complaining about, oh, it's not safe for the kids. You know, this is all the time. And so, yeah, yeah. I, I understand. Like, Nick Saban is always going to have a contender at Alabama. But I'm, I'm with both of you guys. Like, it is sad that. These small schools are may you know it looks like it'll be left in the dust. And as a guy who loves college sports, you know I was a small college guy. Like I love those small school, small colleges. Yeah. I love the NCAA tournament with you know the upsets. So this hurts my heart a little bit. And I want it to stay how it is. Yeah. So USC attracting more bets and more money to win the national title than any other team at the SuperBook Vegas location. Look, I mean. <laughs> Lincoln Riley with a stud quarterback. I mean, you know what he does with stud quarterbacks. It's great. Of course, they have the 2021 Blitnikoff Award winner in Addison, you know, coming over from Pitt. But they were four and eight. They didn't get those studs at every position. I just, again, you come out of the gates just a little slowly. Say you lose two of your first four or five because you're still putting yeah. it together. I mean, that's it. Their, their schedule's pretty easy. Would you, would you even take USC to win the Pac-12? <sighs> I mean, I know they're the favorites, them, Utah, and Oregon are the three favorites, but I don't think I would take them to win the Pac-12. Who would you take over them? I would take Utah or Oregon. I would make really, really? I would make okay. both those bets over USC. Interesting. Uh, USC is just uh, they have the highest upside to me. They have, they're a team that has so much talent. Definitely, yeah. I mean, we've talked about Jordan Addison, uh, Mario Williams was a stud Oklahoma receiver. They have Travis Dye, obviously. They added a Stanford running back. They're kind of like a uh, they're kind of a flag football team a little bit. Like <laughs> yeah. if it was seven on seven, they are probably the best team in the country, or you know them in Ohio State and maybe Bama. But I also look at their schedule, and I think a big reason why they're getting some buzz, or you know people are taking them pretty serious. Oregon has to play Georgia. Utah has to play Florida week one. A plethora of other Pac-12 teams have to kind of get beat up early. USC, it's Rice, it's Stanford, it's Fresno State. Those are their first three weeks. So that screams three and zero to me. Yeah, and I know they don't play Oregon. Uh, who's yeah. the other team that they duck in Pac-12 play? Uh, it looks like they um, they do not play the Huskies, from what I see. No Washington, no Oregon. Good, yeah, that's a beautiful. That's, that's a pretty good. But schedule. they do have Notre Dame. They do have Notre Dame. So I'll be fair there. I just I need to see it. I need to see all these transfers blended. That, that's where I'm at. And it's like we've seen it in basketball, but basketball is more of an individual game. Football, I mean, football is the ultimate team game. So just yeah. to get all these stars and to blend in in one season, I, I don't know, man. I need to see it before I would start betting on it. Them. It, it just takes time. And, and with sh such a short season, you don't have time. you got to really hit the ground running if you want to do more than just win the Pac-12. All right, well, go away, come back, wrap up our number one on the other side. Charles Barkley's in the news. I'll tell you about that next. Welcome back to the program. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. It's the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. Appreciate you rolling with me until 6 o'clock. If you're in the Portland area, you will 
be with me until 7 o'clock. My local show, The Pulse, follows this. I'm going to move Charles Barkley to the top of uh, hour number two just so I have enough time to talk about this. Uh, <laughs> Stephen Vaughn on Twitter, you just shared this post, man. A picture of a, a guy from Comcast that fell asleep during his, his install. You know, you call Comcast, they come to your house, they hook everything up, they connect your internet and cable. This dude in the middle of the install fell asleep on the floor, and you took a picture of this guy? Is it just what? me, or was my first thought he might be having a medical emergency? Yeah, I don't know, but all I know is I saw that picture, and I laughed because that's exactly what I would do. It's like, I'm not very good around the house, and so if I'm doing things, I just get, like, tired. I'm going to pretend, like, uh, you know, if I fall asleep, it's just going to finish itself. I don't know, so... <laughs> But yeah, that is it was pretty wild. I hope the guy was okay. Yeah, you gotta at least rouse the guy and just be like, hey man, you all right? Like a little poke. Yeah. I mean, there's not many worse things you could do than just leave him alone. Like, I get the idea that, like, man, this guy's tired. I'm just gonna let him be, but that guy could be having a a heart attack right now or something. I mean, the only worst thing you could do than nothing is to like, because he's laying on his side as if you like laid there face to face with him, like six inches away, and just waited for him to wake up and just be like. You snored a little bit. He could have been like a real mouth breather. I mean, I'm a mouth breather, so like I breathe I really too. heavy when I sleep. You can hear it when I'm sleeping. So like maybe he was doing that, you know? Yeah, it's possible. By the way, the key it's it's those uh those uh clear breathe nose strips. Yeah, that's the secret, man, to help that. Yeah, I got a little bit of a narrow uh, nose thing yeah. going on, and uh, I got a crooked nose thing. So. Yeah, yeah. And every night when I go to sleep, I pop one of those on. I look like a linebacker uh, when <laughs> when when I'm hitting the rack. I take my melatonin and then I suit up and. Uh, Put one of those on, man. It stops the snoring, helps me actually close my mouth. But you got a pregame routine. It is. It's it's a whole routine, man. It takes like 15 minutes, but uh, it's a lifesaver because I hear I don't wait. Actually, I take that back. Every once in a while, I do wake myself up snoring. There's nothing that makes you feel worse about yourself than actually snoring yourself awake. Just man, I'm I'm just a disgusting human being. Like (laughs) if I woke myself up, what am I doing to my partner who's next to me? And whenever I do it, I'll like roll over and she's just laying there looking at me. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, sweetie. I didn't mean it. Usually when I do it, my wife, she just like starts hitting the bed. Like she starts like pushing the bed down and like trying to shake me. And then usually I'll turn back over or something. But yeah, no, I do the same thing. I'm trained. I've really trained myself because I've said like, look, I don't, I'm I'm not proud of the fact that I snore. I, and (laughs) You need to be able to sleep. So if you just kind of just jostle me awake, I'll never be mad about it. Just jostle me and just say, roll over, and I will. And so inevitably, once or twice a night, I'll just get the little poke in the side. Hey, roll over. Yep, sorry. I'll mumble out a sorry, roll over, and then get another couple hours that way. Sean, what's your sleeping habits like? Oh, man, I, uh, I'm i not the best sleeper at all. Like, I, whenever people sleep in the same room, they complain of snoring. They complain of talking. They complain of giggling. Like, but... Here's Bro, you giggle in your sleep. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I just, I'm such a jokester, and uh, I think I'm, I don't know, I, I'm just someone that likes to laugh a lot. It carries over when <laughs> I, uh, when I sleep. But there's nothing we can do about our sleeping habits. Like, you know, if you're a bad snorer, there's really not anything you do. You know what I mean? Yeah, without a doubt, it's tough. I, t- I try not to do it. I try to stay on my side. I just can't help it. But I'm one of those guys. I'll prop myself up with two pillows. What I need to do is just bring a lazy boy and just stack it right on top of the mattress so I can sleep upright. All right, hour number two, the BFT coming up. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. BFT. 
from the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Peter Sampson with the bald faced truth. Hour number two of the program. Welcome in. Peter Sampson in for Canzano. It's the BFT on the BFT Radio Network. Got Sean McPherson, Stephen Vaughn with me as well. I teased this real quick just a few minutes ago, but uh, Charles Barkley in the news. It looks like the possibility of Chuck joining Live Golf appears to be getting real, and it might come at the expense of his role on TNT's Inside the NBA. And uh, our own Dan Patrick, who can hear uh, a 6-9, to nine, uh, he had it that uh, Barkley's planning to meet with higher-ups about a media position with Live Golf. Uh, and uh, that's going to be tomorrow night. And if Barkley likes the uh, basically the money that they offer, that could mean the end of his more than two-decade-long tenure on Inside the NBA. So Dan Patrick had that. I'm going to play that here, and here's what uh, DP had to say about it. Voices right now, in my opinion, he's the most valuable voice in sports media. You throw in all the commercials because he may lose those endorsements. A lot of these players who have joined the Live Tour lost endorsements. Charles knows that he may lose those. So if you're going to go after Charles Barkley, you don't have a TV deal, and you have David Faraday, what are you going to give Charles Barkley? And Charles says he's going to listen to them, I believe, tomorrow night and decide what he's going to do, and he might have to leave TNT. That's why this is a huge deal. And Charles knows that he may have to leave TNT. To do this, what what's the what's the problem? When you said that, I, I we were all thinking to ourselves, okay, if Charles Barkley he he doesn't cover golf for a living generally, so he could go cover some golf on the side, make ten million dollars, and wouldn't bother me. As soon as you said he may have to leave TNT, that's where we all went. I, 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 if I'm no way, Charles can't do that. Well, for any amount of money, I I'm just putting it out there. What I was told, what I was told this morning, Charles knows he may have to leave TNT. That would be bad for everybody. So you could say, oh, my gosh, these golfers, if uh, Cameron Smith is going to leave. By the way, you know, he's from Australia. Greg Norman, the last Australian to win the Open Championship. And that's probably a conversation that they've had or been having. And we're still waiting to see if he's going to join the Live Tour. But if Charles Barkley would leave TNT and go to the Live Tour, that's a big deal. That has nothing... <laughs> That's not growing the game. Now you're taking away from the NBA with this. This has nothing to do with golf, per se. And who is going to, are you more likely now to get a TV deal? And who is going to step up and wants to be that TV partner? That's what I'd be curious about. Unless TBS says, hey, we'll be the TV partner. But then they're also with the PGA Tour, they have, I, I think there's a partial coverage on TNT or TBS with a couple of events. Yes, Eaton. Why would he need to leave TBS or TNT? I don't know. Charles, Charles is the one who said it. So that's Dan Patrick this morning talking about that. Charles Barkley saying he may, or the word is, we haven't heard it from Chuck's mouth, but that he may have to leave TNT for live golf. My first thought here is that Charles Barkley now has a ton of leverage with TNT, and I almost wonder if this is something just to get a new contract here because they mentioned the idea of maybe TNT slash TBS uh, becoming the broadcast partner for Live Golf. I don't know that that's going to happen. I mean, Live Golf, it hasn't been in the news as much as it was as it first launched, and of course, locally when they were at Pumpkin Ridge uh, for that first tournament on American soil, but... 
I don't know that that's a brand that at least at this point a major TV network is going to touch yet, guys. Does Charles Barkley move the needle for live golf like he does for basketball? But am I going to really tune in to live golf because Charles Barkley is an analyst? He's a really bad golfer, right? Yeah. Legendarily, yeah. But, like, he's really good on TV, and I understand that. But he's not going to provide anything to, like, further the knowledge of golf. Like, it'll all be entertainment, and you hope he says something funny and he makes fun of the golfers. But it's... I think it's maybe like I would watch it for the first time he's on there, but then after that, it's kind of this sticks kind of over. Like I'd be done with it, and I'd like go back to making fun of the basketball players every single day. It, it would be a big get. I mean, Charles Barkley is is so big. I I don't know if I agree that he is the biggest figure in sports media right now. I feel like that's a that's a segment in its own right that we could go back and back and forth on. But getting Charles Barkley for Live Golf would would be huge and. Look, I know inside the NBA, Charles Barkley has said, you know, the end is near. Like, he's getting older, and the players are super young, and he feels like there's a little bit of a generational gap from the players that he's criticizing. He's talked about that. He's talked about how he's kind of close to retirement age, and he might step away from inside the NBA pretty soon. So we're expecting that, just this live golf thing, you know, and them potentially bringing him, picking him up. That would be the surprise here. Yeah, I, I don't think he's the biggest name in, in sports media, honestly, not even by a long shot. Yeah. But I think he's the biggest name that they could reasonably get. They're not like Bob Costas isn't going to do the live golf tour. Al Michael. Well, obviously, Al Michaels has a new gig, but these big time guys, they're not going to put their name on it unless they're trying to get maybe one last uh, big payday and just, well, my reputation be damned. I'm going to take the hundred million or whatever it is. But that being said, Barkley is kill. I mean, look to me and this is just my opinion even though he's not the biggest name and he's not the best name the the tnt the inside the nba that is that is my go-to i love that show it's the only show that has the combination of like good analysis but the the forced banter that every single show does it actually works there except maybe Shaq being a little too sensitive sometimes but i think even some of that is shtick yeah. it just it works so well and it would be a massive loss and and it's barkley on his own if it was just oh charles the charles barkley pregame show on some generic channel that doesn't work it's that exact combination of guys that works and losing chuck it would be so bad cuz you know they're going to try to replace him with someone that's similar you're just going to have a bunch of uh you know suits sitting around a conference table being like how can we get another irreverent guy and it's going to be forced and it's going to be lame and Barkley is I know Barkley doesn't really give a damn about his rep and that's what makes his rep so good yeah. you know the the key to being cool is you don't care that you're cool but he doesn't he doesn't do it for me in golf I mean I just can't really see that working and I, I'm, I'm with you 100% like basketball it works because he was a great player I mean he was one of the best players ever but you know with golf it's just he doesn't have that type of reputation at all and he uh, he just came out, Peter, and you know that it's not about the reputation because he said uh, just a little bit ago he would uh, kill a family member for $150 million. Yeah. So, like, he knows that his reputation is what it is. And I get that because, look, man, I criticized this event, rightfully so. Or I guess not the event. I did criticize that. But now it's just the whole the, – the league, I guess you call it. But that being said, I mean, it's <laughs> – I'm just being honest. If someone waved that kind of money in my face, I'm taking it. I I just, I am. I just am. So I'm not going to necessarily criticize someone for uh, for chasing the money, as long as they're just honest about it. Like if Charles Barkley does this, and he goes, they offered me a quarter of a billion dollars over 10 years, and I'm taking it. 
well, okay, to a degree, I can kind of respect that. But on the flip side, it's also it, the reason I'm taking that money is because I don't really have any money. When you're rich, you can actually afford to be principled. You feel me? So there's that to consider. And then also the fact that, man, again, inside the NBA, it, it I love that show. It's the perfect. You can't buy or force that chemistry, that interaction. You j- you can't do it. It only happens organically. It only happens naturally, and we'd be losing that. No, and some of the bits that they do, you know, who he play for and, you know, er, EJ's sad of the night, all those things, Shaq to the fool, it's all so good, and it brings a positive. We've talked about all a lot of negative things with college football lately. It brings a real positive light to the NBA. Yeah. And, you know, as NBA guys, I know we're all big fans of the NBA. It's really cool to watch it. So to lose Chuck – I mean that would be huge. It, if you lose Chuck and the whole the whole thing's ruined, right? Uh, it, you, I feel like all of those guys are probably pretty close to calling it quits, and I feel like the four of them are kind of they're a package deal. It feels like, and so uh, I feel like and inside the NBA is always going to get the big names, but it's going to be impossible to uh, to recreate what those four have done together. And personally, I feel like Draymond Green is when he's done playing, he's in the middle of another dynasty. But when he's done playing, I feel like he's going to be the next Charles Barkley. Maybe not as good. He's not as good of a player as Charles Barkley was, but I feel like that's the persona that he's creating right now. I feel like he's working on that as we speak, and I could totally see Draymond Green being one of those four, and he it seems like he already has a contract with TNT. I'd just be curious who the other four are. I know they have D. Wade. I don't think D. Wade's all that he's, great. He's yeah. fine. Yeah. Dr- Draymond doesn't do it for me. I, I don't like the way he's going about all this me neither. The media stuff, but... Um, the thing is, is we talk about how good this show is. All these other companies, all these other networks, especially ESPN, they've been trying to find the Charles Barkley of yep. their network yep. for so many years, and they can't do it. So for TNT to be that lucky to have Charles Barkley this long, I mean, they are blessed to have it. But if they lose him, man, like you said, that show's over. Like, that show will not be must-watch TV after the games on TNT. You know, watching the Blazers play till 1030, I'm going to stay up till 1130, 12, watch it inside the NBA. If Charles is there, I, I don't need to watch it. Yeah, and you th- I mean, you think about that amount of revenue. Look, I'm still going to watch the premier games on TNT. There's no doubt about that. The, you know, the doubleheaders twice a week. It's always big-time teams. It's often entertaining, even if a, seven, a 7.30 start, team actu- or start time excuse me, actually means 7.47, 7.48 in the evening. They're late games. But, man, yeah, you hit it right on the head. I'm not going to stick around for 45 minutes after the game on a work night just to hear what these guys guys are saying if it's not those guys and and again like they make their millions of dollars there is a price on it but you can't put a price on that how many commercial breaks are we exposed to as consumers and viewers because we want to hear those guys specifically how much ad revenue would they potentially be losing out so when i think that charles barkley has really got so much leverage here i almost wonder if he's not at, like he's maybe got a price in mind and it's some absurd number. Like if they offer me $150 million, I'm taking it. Otherwise, boy, oh boy, TNT, it's time to renegotiate. I hope you're all right. I hope yours all leverage play and Turner brings him back because, you know, as we said, there's no, pre- no pregame or postgame show that you have to watch. I mean, even, you know, Super Bowl is always the big one, but like you don't need to watch that stuff. There's not entertaining, but inside the NBA, that is something that is must, must watch TV for NBA fans. It's so much better than ESPN too. Like yeah. I, ESPN, <laughs> Their halftime show, it feels like it's just overworking all of their best guys. Like, Stephen A. Smith does first take and the ESPN halftime show. Like, he is pretty much their Charles Barkley. And then they got, what, Jalen Rose, Mike Greenberg, and uh, 
Maybe I'm missing the guy from PTI. Um, Wilbon. Wilbon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's their halftime show right now. And TNT just has a clear advantage over them. So I'd be curious to see how they end up recreating. Because, look, I think whether Barkley takes this LIV deal or not, I, I've heard podcasts with him saying, look, the, the end is near. Like, yeah. I, I'm, I'm almost done with this. And I feel like the whole thing's going to collapse a little bit. I hope TNT has a contingency plan, maybe as soon as this year for that i mean the one thing that we know about chuck is at least he'll be the one guy that's honest about uh jumping ship and he'll just go it's for the money it's yeah. nothing else it's for the money it's not all these golfers that went with well i'm looking for a new change and a new challenge and it'd be good for golf the if family. someone challenged the pga no it's not it's you took 200 million dollars just be honest just be honest. I'll respect it at least a little bit more if you're just being real. Yeah, no, it's to, it's sports washing. There are a lot of ethical questions, but, uh, you know, I'm, this is generational wealth, and I'm taking it. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it would be so hard. It's easy for me to sit here and say, yeah, I would never take the money because I'm not in that spot. But when someone's sold me $100 million just to play golf, it would be hard for me to say no to that. Yeah. And I understand because there's a lot of companies that do a lot of bad things in the world that we just don't even know about. So, I don't blame all these golfers for doing it, but you're right. Like Chuck would be the one guy that says, I don't care what you guys think. I took the money because I'm not a role model. I don't care. He said that before, you know, I'm not a role model. Don't look at me that way. I'm taking it because of the money and that's what I'm doing. He would be the one guy that would do that. But I do think generally it's just not, it's not common courtesy in the world to say, Hey, I took this job because of the money. Imagine if one of us did that, you know, you land a new gig and, and someone asks you, tell me about this new gig. Yeah. I took it because of the money. Like that's, <laughs> a, that's a pretty rude thing to do. And the same goes for Phil Mickelson for, so they're always going to come. They're always going to come up with some other kind of explanation. Oh, I did this because of this. I love it. I, I feel really good about the cause, whatever the case may be. And uh, Charles Barkley might be the one person to be yeah. like, yeah, I did this for the Yeah, life. The one role in corporate America that you not only can do that, but it's encouraged is if you ever if you ever get yourself a sales job, you're in a sales interview, they're like, why do you want to work here? Uh, because I'm going to kick ass and make you a lot of money and therefore me a lot of money. Any other department, any other role, that's such a turnoff. If you're in sales, sales they're like, hell yeah, let's go. You're hired. And that's Barkley. He's going to say, you know what, yeah. I'm going to sell this tour and I'm going to get you guys viewers that you weren't going to have before. Yeah, so remains to be seen what's going to go on there. I Just part of me says maybe this is just a leverage play for him. Um, I, and, he, you know, he has said it like you said, Stephen, look, the end is near, or Sean, one of you guys said it. And it's true, but, man, if the money can be at least somewhat the same for what, however much uh, time he's got left in media, I would love for it to be still with TNT. Man, I love that show. I mean, the perfect example, you were talking about ESPN's halftime show, Sean. I knew Stephen A. I, I'm in. I'm in sports media, and I couldn't even tell you off the top the of my head who the other guys. Are. I yeah, know they just I, had the finals. We don't even. You know, I, I still. It's it's white noise to me. I just I don't even pay attention to it inside the NBA. Man, I'm watching beforehand. I'm watching afterward. I'm enjoying it. It's insightful. It's fun. It's it's not manufactured. When they go at each other, it's not manufactured like all the ESPN sports shouting shows, which is oh, it's the worst thing about this business. So very very interested to see what happens here. All right, we'll go away. Come back more of the BFT ahead on the BFT Radio Network. So I'm not a big NASCAR guy, 
No disrespect to anyone who is. I'm just not. I admire it. I've had NASCAR drivers on the show. It's cool. It just doesn't do it for me. But uh, in the news, so NASCAR celebrating its 75th season, and they are going to do so with a street race through downtown Chicago. So the Cup Series will race against the backdrop of Lake Michigan and Grant Park next July. That's going to be July 2nd in the debut race of a three-year deal with the city. And uh, this was uh, orchestrated. They've been working on this for a little while. So NASCAR is making sweeping changes to the uh, oval-heavy schedule. I guess this is a response to the people that say that turning left is not a sport. Well, now they're going to have to do more than that. Look, I'm going to be honest, and this might just be being ignorant. I know these, these guys are so highly skilled. This seems like maybe not a great idea to me. I mean, those cars haul and i know they're gonna have this blocked off but a street race in chicago seems like a disaster waiting to happen no peter i actually think that you're missing you're missing the point here this is directly in competition with formula one who is now taking over the u.s it's becoming bigger in america and it's uh they've been doing plenty of street races that's what f1 is it's street races around cities Mm. And they're in Miami, they're in Austin, and they're coming to Vegas next year. And F1 just did a whole documentary. It's taking over the country. Like, Do America. they have accidents or anything like that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look up Look up from uh, – oh, are you – is that sarcastic? No. Because there was just a huge accident, uh, one of the last races. And some car – and the guy survived. The guy was just fine, shockingly. But there was a car that t- tumbled and tumbled and tumbled until it hit the, uh, the wall. And I just think that this is uh, yeah, Formula One is really sweeping over a lot of people, a lot of sports fans in this country, and it's really done a nice job growing into the United States. Um, really, by way of the Netflix documentary, which I think is it was genius on their part, and a lot of other sports are going to try to duplicate that. But I think as soon as you mentioned it, I haven't even heard this story. I thought, oh, you know, this is this is competing with Formula One. This is this is their response to Formula One. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not a big NASCAR guy, not a big race car guy, but like you said, it, it has to do with the Netflix um, show, Drive to Survive. It's been around for four seasons now. I've talked to numerous people. I've read numerous things about how good it is. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be a F1 fan to enjoy the show. I and enjoyed I, it. It was yeah, awesome. And that's the thing. It's like you're not even a big race car guy, but like you enjoy the show a lot. So it is gaining popularity. I mean, it's kind of just like the whole thing with the NHL, how they played outdoor games. Like it was cool to start, but is it going to be – you know, something they do all the time. Is it just in competition with this? I don't know. I'm not that interested in it. I think it'll be cool to see some pictures, you know, with all the buildings in the back and see NASCAR cars driving around. But, I mean, it's just not for me. It's Man, like, how, how much uh, how much diverting of traffic do they have to do for one of these things? I don't know. Maybe I'm a little scarred because, and this is not official, have any of you uh, guys been held up in Portland by the uh, absolutely not sanctioned, completely illegal street racing that goes on? I, it's happened, like, on the Fremont yeah. Bridge, mm, and nobody yeah. does anything about it, man, and it's wild. Yeah, no, I know what you're talking about, but really? at least at I've least never this, seen this, you know, so hopefully, someone's gonna get killed. Yeah, I mean, at least this, you know, will be sanctioned and hopefully yeah, yeah, yeah. people will know about it in advance and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, I'm with you. Just uh, it just doesn't do it for me. I don't I don't know what the play is, and I don't know if real NASCAR fans are gonna be excited about it. Well, yeah. I, I've never been in the NASCAR because NASCAR is simply it, it's kind of it's it's in a circle. It's in an arena. It's in a stadium, and and you turn you're left. You're kind of just going. You're going in a circle versus F1. The appeal there is. 
uh, the cars are, for one, are, are much different than NASCAR cars. They're more built like sports cars, and uh, they're pretty sweet. And they drive through cities. They go on a world tour, and they literally go on these awesome routes through the city. You know, Vegas next year, they're coming into Vegas, and they're going to go on the Strip. Like, how cool is that? And also, you know, like the F1 Drive to Survive documentary did a great job kind of personalizing a lot of the athletes. Um, athletes is kind of, well, that's a whole nother I'm thing. good with it. Yeah, uh, I, I am too. And, uh, yeah, F1 is really, I think, NASCAR is trying to respond here and say, hey, we can do that too. Uh, and they're trying to kind of match what F1 is doing here. So I think this is in rebuttal to F1. And I, I it's kind of, it's intriguing to see the two sports cross over a little bit and see which one is going to, is I feel like NASCAR is always going to have their fans, you know, uh, a lot of kind of an older crowd like the MLB. But F1, I think, has taken over the younger crowd. So I think NASCAR, is, this is their rebuttal. Yeah, it makes sense to sort of try to answer that challenge, you know, and, so, and sort of, uh, you know, uh, fancy things up and do something like this. I'm just, I'm, I mean, you're talking about these wrecks that happen. I mean, what happens when some historic building in Chicago just gets crashed into and wrecked? Like, who gets who gets sued here? What happens when someone's not aware of it and they just get out on the road somehow and they're like, oh, what's happening? And I don't know, man. I, I just There has to be so much planning in the city. It, it just seems to me that that the, the potential for issues is really big there. Would you ever want to see like uh, the NBA do something like that where you know they played an actual exhibition game or a preseason game like outside? Like Rucker Park or yeah, something like, like that. Yeah, like college basketball does that on like the on the Navy I'd, ships. I'd be cool with that. Like a preseason cool. game. Obviously, you couldn't do a regular season game because it matters too much. But you know, the NFL doing something different, or you know, basketball because it's all these. Uh, you know, NHL is one of the major sports, but the three major sports, you know, baseball, basketball, football, they don't have to do things like this. They don't have to do bits like this. But I think it would be cool to see like you know an NBA game played at Rucker Park. It would be really cool. I think that would be awesome. You know, you watch the Drew League right now, yeah. and LeBron just played, and they the Drew League's pretty cool because they've been getting a lot of NBA guys just playing these casual pickup games. KD these, was just in town. Uh, Park Rose. Le- yeah, right, Park Rose. Right, so I think the Drew League is kind of the appeal there, like the success of that and watching the best basketball players in the world play in kind of a, a pickup game format against normal people. Maybe it's just five-on-five five with NBA players, but – it's been pretty cool to see LeBron just show up to the Drew League right. again, an iconic venue, a pickup setting, and just drop forty-five on people. I think that's that's been a big hit this summer. Yeah, that's like a more personal setting because it's such a small gym that they play in, so everyone was right on top of it. It's like you are part of the action; it is right for you. So yeah, I'm with you. I mean, that Drew League has been around for a long time. You know, I played with a guy who played in it, and you know, they get a lot of good players. It's not the first time like guys like LeBron have played in it, but I mean, I, th- I do think like. The NBA, if they really wanted to, they could try to do something outside of the box in the preseason, especially regular season. Keep that the same, but preseason, maybe do something. Yeah, I'd, I'd be into that. Going back to NASCAR, one one thing I do have to shout out NASCAR for is the way they make their drivers available to the media and uh, some of the, just the way they make them available to fans, too. They're, they're right there. It's easy if you're a kid who's into NASCAR, you know, your dad's into it, so you get into it. Like, you can go right up to them, like, at a race beforehand or afterwards. It's nice, scheduled, easy time. You can get any autographs you want. And I remember, you know, having a couple of these guys uh, on the show over the years. Man, it was it was just the easiest, smoothest interview. A lot of times when you have people in the studio, they'll have a handler with them. And so, well, oh, don't talk about this. Don't talk about that. I've never had that with a NASCAR guy. One of my big regrets, actually, 
Uh, I don't remember. I'm sure someone can correct me, but it's it was the big it was a big Labor Day race at PIR. NASCAR was coming. It was a few years ago, and I don't remember the name of the driver. It wasn't one of the huge names. It was an up and comer. Uh, I remember he was it was kind of a big deal because he was a he was a, a type one diabetic, and under the rules, like you can't race. You know what if something happens? And he integrated like his glucose monitoring with it was like in the dash of the car and hooked up to his pump so everything was like automated and he could do it but the big thing is i was talking to him uh we do the interview it's great he's super friendly and he's got his pr rep from nascar with him and uh he does a great job we end the segment i'm like man that's so cool man and uh i've always wanted to kind of get in one of those cars i don't know a lot about nascar but i mean you guys are so skilled and i mean i just can't imagine what it's like being in there and his handler goes well i mean Labor Day weekend, like we'll be back in in two weeks or whatever. You can come down. I'll get you on the list because we do we do the warm up laps. They're full speed, and uh, you can get in the car. There's room for two two people. You can get in and you can do two laps with. I'm forgetting his name. I feel so bad, but with this driver, you can do that. And I was like, absolutely, mark me down. Couldn't make it. Couldn't get childcare. Obviously, not going to put my kid in a car to go 185 miles an hour. Missed out on what's essentially probably a once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah, that would be cool. I mean, I know me as a, you know, I'm a pretty cautious driver. I don't like to drive super Same. fast. I mean, the fact that they get up going those speeds, man, it would, it would scare me so bad. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I can do that either. I'm not much of a thrill seeker, and uh, man, uh, maybe you trust a professional athlete if you if you end up getting in the car with a NASCAR athlete, and like with but... no other cars on the track. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, yeah, you know you'd be fine, but at the same time, it would it would be quite the shock. It'd be pretty scary because our minds are so used to being in a car going at a normal speed. So it'd be a huge shock, I think, for anyone. And but... you know how it is when you're with, if you're with driving with someone that like you've never been with before as a passenger, you're always a little extra. But like, yeah. man, I experienced that. I was I was on vacation last week. I was in Michigan, and uh, the dude that was driving us around, he, 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 great guy, super responsible. But he, first of all, the speed limit's like seventy five in a lot of the places there, and so seventy five really means like eighty two, yeah, right? Yeah. And he's going with the flow of traffic, but like. Okay, there's a turn ahead, turn ahead, turn ahead, and I'm just grabbing the the little handle up top. Everything is under control. Everything's fine, but you're already just a little bit of like, I haven't established trust with this right. guy yet. And I'll make it a total stranger, and you're going 200 miles an hour. It'd be tough. I'm just afraid. I'm afraid I'd yak in his car, honestly. Yeah, that would be the fear because, you know, Every every scary car ride I've ever been is, you know, taxi, Uber, one of those things. Because you just don't know these people. And then they're right. driving like maniacs. And as a former Uber driver, I do understand because sometimes you know, just get bored and you just want to, you know, try to put a little thrill in people's lives. <laughs> I love that. So every once in a while you just gun it. Yeah. Just step on it a little bit. That's wild. How would people react to that? Yeah, they're just like, hey, you know, just calm down. Yeah, easy. Yeah. I'm in no rush. Ratings. Easy then, yeah. Then you look at your ratings, your rating goes down a little bit. <laughs> I love that. 503-417-7575. We'll go away and come back. More of the BFT coming up next. Man, it's a beautiful day outside. I know it's hot. I'm looking forward to that evening walk. Got one last night, man. Grilled some bratwurst. Oh, they were good, too. They were so good. I got to look up the brand. I don't know what it was, but they were better than normal. And then uh, 
If I'm being honest, uh, uh, put some Pinot Noir in a uh, travel cup and uh, took a walk around Southeast uh, during dusk. It was it was just fantastic. I'm going to repeat that tonight. Uh, the only change, I'm grilling burgers tonight. I've said it before, summer season is grill season. I'm excited. Fellas, I got two racks of ribs for this weekend I'm gonna uh, that I'm going to uh, barbecue. I'm not sure. Dry rub or sauce? H- how should I do my ribs? Dry rub. Dry rub? Dry rub. What do you usually do? I, I don't really feel a strong allegiance to either. As long as you do a good job, they're both delicious. I'm not one of those guys that's like, I need KC style. No, South Carolina. Like, man, it's all good. I just don't know what I'm going to do this weekend. Yeah, I th- I'm more of a uh, more of a dry rub guy as well. If you're going to do ribs, I, I'd rather prefer a dry rub. So, yeah, I, I say do a, do a dry rub. Invite me and Sean over and uh, it'll be are, good. You, are you smoking them? Oh, yeah, yeah, nice okay. and slow. You have a nice smoker at yeah. home. Yeah. I expect okay. the invitation in my DMs later. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Right. Th- this won't be the last time this okay, summer, okay. I, I assure you. It'll be the first time this summer. I bet you I'll, I bet you I'll do ribs three or four times, yeah. so we, we can make that happen. It's it's all about the grill, man. It's all about it. I uh, I go th- through a tank probably quicker than most people. And, and I'm not like a lot of dudes where all they could do, you put them in a kitchen and they can't do anything, but you put them in front of an open flame and all of a sudden they're good. Fellas, fellas, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. But uh, there's just something about the sunshine. I got to get outside and do it, man. I'll, I'm, I'm just shy of putting on the kiss the cook apron when I'm out there. Just generic <laughs> dad. Throw on my new balances, baseball hat with sunglasses, khaki shorts, white socks pulled up to the knee tongs in hand number one dad hat yeah without a doubt man yeah so okay so you're saying dry rub i'll go with that and when i do a sauce the thing is i'm all about the uh i only really usually sauce uh chicken you know slow and low and mm-hmm. even then it's got to be that more of that south carolina that nice vinegary sauce i don't need something overly sweet and sticky it has its place like with ribs for example right. but uh yeah generally with the sauce i like to go with the more of the 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 tart vinegary and i don't need as much caramelization i do love just all the different styles you could have a barbecue right and they're all yes. so different like you're talking about like vinegary taste uh, compared to a sweet taste, but it's like, it's a completely different meal, I feel like, just for every different style. So that's why barbecue is just so great. It's so funny. This entire conversation is reminding me of what I did last night. And when it comes to food, I have a couple of friends staying with me at my apartment right now. Nice. So I returned from work. They went to Dave's Killer Chicken. Have you guys ever ate there? Mm-mm. It's Dave's Killer Chicken. It's a, it's a pretty popular uh, fast food restaurant, kind of like a Chick-fil-A type deal. Anyways, one of my friends, you know, both of them, they ended up taking home uh, extra hot chicken, which is their second hottest chicken that they have there. Okay. And so we all tried it. You know, we thought it would be a big challenge. Wasn't that hot. We go back. We get the Reaper. We had to sign a waiver. (laughs) And we go back. We get the Reaper. And we each had one chicken tender to work with. And uh, it was a struggle. It wasn't like it wasn't it didn't put me on the ground. But uh, I was panting back and I was panting back and forth and kind of uh, walking and you know, kind of huffing and puffing yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And I had some ice cream right there with me. So, anyways, this whole conversation. I got home from work last night, got out the uh, you know went for a walk. I, I got out the uh, the smoker, 
it all reminded me of what I did last night, the Reaper Challenge. Man, that's interesting. See, and I love heat, but there is a limit. I see a lot of the, you know, eating something as spicy as possible just to, I don't know, show that you got hair on your chest or whatever. And maybe when I was younger, I would do that. But at a certain point, man, I remember <laughs> I, I had just gotten hired at, uh, I won't name the company because it's terrible, but uh, I had just gotten hired at a place for a, a pretty respectable role. You know, I'm in management. And uh, the, uh, the VP of my division takes me out to a professional lunch, you know, a little get to know you. This is a, a, a very high up uh, gentleman in the company, very powerful guy, guy you want to make friends with. And we go to this Thai place, which will also remain unmentioned. And I put in my order and they're like, you know how it is when you get Thai. How spicy do you want it? And I go, well, spicy. And they go, how spicy? And I go, I don't know. Like, how spicy? And they go, well, we have mild, or we have not spicy, mild, medium, and legit, he said this, white people spicy and spicy. And I said, you know, this guy's kind of eyeing me, you know. Yeah. I can handle it. I'll do spicy. I thought I was going to pee my pants. It was Horrible. Like, it was delicious. And that's the thing it is. It's like if you get some good peppers, and they all have their own individual flavors, and they have their individual heat profiles. And it's not just level of heat. Some of them just hit you, just bam, and then it's gone. And others do the slow build. And it was this combination. It was a five-alarm fire that just kept building and building and building. And I was beat red. And we're talking about the the you know the vision of the organization in this particular department in a one three and five year plan and i'm sweating and squirming i thought i was having a heart attack man it was unbelievable yeah i actually just got some spicy uh spicy basil fried rice yesterday mm. and uh it was delicious like it's i was eating and i actually told my wife i go how can people not like spicy food like this is so flavorful and so good yeah so, just don't some people just can't handle it some people like you have to sign that waiver because it's a serious medical thing like if they do the reaper challenge or you know buffalo wild wings has the blazing challenge like these are big places that have they they offer these things for the the crazy ones but some people legit can't handle it like have you guys seen hot ones oh yeah 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 Yeah, like i've seen clips from that show where people like it gets it's it's all fun and games until people start freaking out and uh the whole the whole show (laughs) start hallucinating yeah. yeah the whole show is meant to like it's all kind of in good fun and you know it's it's kind of humor driven and then it hits that point where it's like this isn't funny anymore and they're on live television and they're freaking out and that happens all the time on that show yeah and, and again the flavors like you mentioned steven you do you get such a complexity and i love heat it's just when we get to about a, a nine out of ten or a ten out of ten it just stops being good to me it's i can't taste anything and i'm seeing sounds and tasting colors and it's <laughs> It's just yeah. not great. And then your stomach starts to hurt a little bit. You know, you're uh, you're trying to sit there on the toilet, trying to just oh, get it out of you. Yeah. Don't talk it to you just about burns. That part. And, uh, yeah, it's no, nothing. Not yeah, nothing fun about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to go that spicy oh. with my ribs. Not even close. By the way, have you have either of you guys ever been to a Daddy D's barbecue in no. Vancouver? It's in a gas station. I know listeners probably like going, yes, yes, yes. It's on, uh, I think it's on 4th Plain in Vancouver. It's literally, it's a shell station on 4th Plain. So it, and it's exactly as you picture it, right? But in the back, there's just this little spot, and it is some of the best Southern-style barbecue you can possibly imagine. It's so good. <laughs> I'm so- 
I want I want to try it, but I just I'm skeptical. You're skeptical. What? You're skeptical of gas station barbecue? Yeah, I mean, just you know, just that's just maybe me. Maybe that's a me problem. Some of the I best food in the world come from hole in the wall spots, you know, like. But not gas stations. Yeah, gas stations could draw the line for some people, but I still I'm a believer that some of the best food in the world come from those hole in the wall spots. Like I feel like that's a that's a pretty common thing. And a lot of people are going to be skeptical, but people don't know what they're missing out on. Like it, some of the best Mexican yeah. food I've ever had, yeah. it's not a pretty setting. You know, it's not a pretty setting where they have it, and it, you know, it might be a, a low-budget business that they're running, but they can cook some good food. Again, it, it's probably a me problem, but you know, that, that's just me. That's I'm, that's, that's Stephen for you. I'm going to get some Daddy D's. I'm going to bring right. it in, and you're going to be like, "Man, fill me up." I wrote Let's it down. Go. I wrote it down in my notes pad. You now. won't regret it, man. And again, it's it's <laughs> if you're not familiar with fourth plate, I mean, it is it's just sprawl. There's nothing pretty about it. But again, you just roll into this Shell station. Go ahead and fill her up if you want. You can pump your own gas there. It's Washington. You just go around the corner and get yourself some ribs, man. Get them a la carte. It is delicious. All right, so I'm going with the dry rub here. I'll, I'll bring some of this in. I got two racks, and it's just going to be Kim and I. I just want to go crazy. So maybe, uh, maybe on Monday I'll bring. If you don't mind them cold, no, I'll bring. I'll bring a few ribs in. I oh, mean, yeah. I don't mind if they're cold, warm, hot, whatever, man. Just give it to me. You know who we I need to get it. on the show? Uh, Matt Preem from Twenty Four Seven Sports is a barbecue expert he's like a wizard and he's uh, if you follow him on social media he's always doing something and he's always good for a review i should i should i should text him and get his opinion uh on a dry rubber a sauce how i should do this i'm down with more barbecue segments so yeah that, that should just be like it should be the barbecue face truth is yeah. really what we should right? do the bft yeah. yeah or the barbecue food truth and from a business standpoint you know daddy these comes and sponsors our show that's and- right Daddy D's, let's go. I'm here to sell you. Let's make this happen. I mean, you made it sound about as appeasing as it could for being like a gas station restaurant. I mean, it could be worse, right? Right. I mean, yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah, it's it's tasty. I mean, I'm looking at it on Google right now, and it even says health and safety. The staff is required to disinfect surfaces between visits, so you know it's reputable, man. You know. You know know it. (laughs) 503-417-7575. We'll be back. Welcome back to the program. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano on the Bald Face Truth. JC enjoying some well-deserved time off. He's at Camp Exceptional. Just saw a bunch of uh, clips from the camp on Instagram during the commercial break. So awesome. It's great to see everyone out there participating. It looks like the kids are having a great time. And so when you support the the BFT Foundation, whether it's during our Radiothon, participating in the golf event, or just making a tax-deductible donation uh, just whenever you can or choose to, uh, not only does it uh, help support kids in the, uh, you know paying their sports fees, helping them get equipment, uh, music lessons, sending kids on field trips if maybe they can't afford the cost to do that. Uh, it helps send them to camp exceptional uh, for uh, neurodivergent, neurotypical kids. Doesn't matter. They get out, have a good time, learn some skills, and have some fun while they're doing that. I especially love the idea that it sends kids out to field trips, man. I remember once as a kid, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. We weren't destitute or anything. But I remember there was one singular time when I couldn't afford to go on a field trip when I was in the, I think it was in the fifth or sixth grade. 
And uh, it was embarrassing, man. It was like me and three other kids uh, couldn't go, couldn't go to Oaks Park and uh, had to hang out at the, at the school. And we sort of had class and we sort of didn't. But uh, it was embarrassing to have to make up a story for my friends. Had to blame it on my mom for being mean and not allowing me to go. And it was all a lie. We just couldn't afford the money. Couldn't afford to uh, pay my fee to get on the bus. It's, and again, Oaks Park, it, I wasn't in Portland. I was, you know, 45 minutes south, so it was a long bus ride. Couldn't afford to uh, play the arcade all day. And it was just a one-time deal. The next year, we did the exact same thing, and I could go. But, uh, you know, it, it felt bad. In hindsight, as an adult, it doesn't matter. It's fine. It's all good. But, I mean, as a, you know, 10, 11-year-old, it was embarrassing. I hated it. And, uh... When you do uh, support the Bald Face Truth Foundation, uh, helping kids avoid that situation is one of the things that you are doing. So if you're able to uh, support the foundation with a tax-deductible donation, very much appreciated. Uh, clips from the, the Camp Exceptional are on uh, Instagram. And I'm sure we'll get a roundup uh, from the camp next week when JC is back. So I saw this in the news. This is kind of funny to me. So, I mean, we know that not many people ever get the chance to play themselves in a movie, right? Uh, apparently, it's not very easy, at least according to Tom Brady. So, Brady, who's appeared in multiple movies and TV shows over the last 20 years, I guess. Uh, most of the time when he shows up, he's playing himself, right? That makes sense. You're not going to hire Tom Brady to, uh, you know, play the lead in a movie. Now, he's reprising the role as himself. Early next year, he's going to be in the movie 80 for Brady. Now, this film is based on a true story. It's about four women in their 80s who happen to be huge fans of Tom Brady. And because of that, they want to attend uh, Super Bowl 51 in Houston. Now, of course, the uh, the women are not playing themselves. It's going to be Sally Field, Jane Fonda, Rita Moreno, and Lily Tomlin. There's some big names there. And Tom Brady is going to play Tom Brady. And he was asked about that. They said, hey, Tom Brady, what's it like playing Tom Brady? And he said he found it challenging and hard. And that makes sense because, you know, ostensibly he's not an actor. But he talked about how difficult it was to play himself. And this struck me as interesting because I would agree with that with a lot of athletes. But guys like Brady and I'll throw LeBron in this as well. Aren't they sort of always playing a character? And I think there are other guys that do this as well. But Brady is kind of the number one. If you said, who's an athlete who's sort of always playing a role? And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But you're talking about managing a brand. And, you know, think about it every time Brady gets interviewed. Jim Gray, halftime of the game, they interview him. Tom Brady is playing Tom Brady in perpetuity. In my opinion, I don't, I don't think he's this way behind closed doors. And I'm not saying I think he's, you know, he acts in a completely different manner and he's really a completely different person, but he's always so buttoned up and stiff. And he d Isn't Tom Brady always playing Tom Brady? Always. 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 And, and the one guy I thought about right away was Russell Wilson. He's oh, the there, same, yes. same exact way. He always says the right things, always does the right things. Anytime you talk about anything he does achievement-wise, he always talks about his teammates doing a really good job and things like that. So I think maybe it's a more of a quarterback thing, but mm. I mean, Russ right now is kind of like Tom Brady was back in the day. Like that's just how he's done his whole career. Yeah. Tom Brady. I'm not sure there's been that great of an athlete, you know, like Tom Brady, like an all time athlete that's been that buttoned up. And we just don't, I don't really have any Tom Brady memories from outside of the football field. Right. Like I feel like, you know, other great athletes, Michael Jordan, 
LeBron James, countless others are, are big characters off the football field. I feel like Tom Brady is, is kind of, and it'll be interesting to see him as a broadcaster uh, in the next couple of years, but you, you just don't get a lot out of him. Like no one, I don't think he, there's not a lot of personality there. And you guys are right. Like he always seems to say the right thing and uh, he seems like a nice guy, but I feel like there's more there to him. Yeah, I, I think there absolutely is. And I would be fascinated to to get some of that. His podcast, the the ESPN Plus, but I didn't consume any of that because I already knew what it was going to be. I had no need to watch that. And if we were getting real Tom Brady, and look, I begrudgingly call him the greatest. I do. I grew up watching Joe Montana, and I'm not a Niners fan. I'm a Rams fan. So I watched Joe Montana slice up my team year after year en route to the Super Bowl. But at a certain point, I just had to go. It was the most recent Super Bowl that he won. I went, look, this guy's the greatest. He just is. He just is. But it's just, it's so curated in, in the same way that LeBron is very curated too. And I think it's done in a different way, but, and I understand, look, athletics, it's all about brand management. It really is. And, and more than these two guys do it. They're the, I mean, even Dame, Damian Lillard, it's curated so much of it with Dame. It's at least curated, or at least it seems to be curated from authenticity. Yeah, you get though. the tweets, you get the Instagram live. Like I have, I, I can remember a a lot of uh, Damian Lillard moments where he's being himself or he's being yeah, the real. brand is based on his reality. At least it's like, Hey, this is who I am. And I'm going to turn this into my brand where with Brady it's and LeBron to a lesser degree, but it's a lot of like, we, we're not going to ruffle any feathers. We're just going to come in and we're not going to just, I'm going to fulfill this role. And this is how it is. So Brady got a movie having a challenge playing Tom Brady, even though that's all he's done for 23 years is play Tom Brady. And we've seen it before. If anyone remembers this killer cameo in the Entourage movie or Ted 2 or Family Guy or The Simpsons, it's all the same to me, man. Yeah, well, that goes to the point of uh, saying scientists say if you saw a twin of yourself that you didn't know you had, you wouldn't recognize yourself. So like really? if there, yeah, if there was another Stephen Vaughn out there that looked just like me, and I saw him in the street, I wouldn't recognize it. Huh. It's so it, like it would be hard to play yourself as a character. I think I'm with Tom Brady. Don't you one. just be yourself though? Just be you. That's what you I'm saying. Think I about could, anything. I'm, I'm playing myself right now, man. It's easy. Just be you, but just ten percent more amplified. That's all it is. But I don't know. I I understand. I understand why Brady's having a challenge. But I I just I want to see him cut loose a little bit more. It's just the, the whole career's been an act. It's not a bad thing. He's he's going to be a billionaire by the time he's done. It is what it is. Hour number three of the Bald Face Truth coming up next. B F F T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Peter Sampson with the bald faced truth. Hour number three of the program. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. It's the BFT on the BFT Radio Network. I was trying to look up the name of that. Uh, the company that makes those brats I bought the other day. Man, they were good. I got to get more of those. I only bought a five pack. I could eat five of those right now. So good. But well, I didn't find it. But while I found it, I did see Nathan's Famous is offering five cent hot dogs tomorrow. It's National Hot Dog Day. Where where do we get those? Uh, apparently at participating restaurants. Mm. With the purchase of a full price one, oh. 
limit two cheapies. So you, you buy one full price hot dog and then you get two uh, two for a dime. All right. I mean, that's still a good deal, I guess. I get down with Nathan's Famous. Yeah. Yeah. I'll get down with that. I've never had, uh, while I was in Michigan, I was getting sold on these uh, Kogel Vienna sausages, Vienna hot dogs. And uh, I don't I don't think that's a thing here. I think that's like a Midwest Chicago style thing. I, I'd never yeah. heard of it. And when someone says Vienna sausages, I'm thinking like those little, little smokies. Little smokies. Yeah, those things are trash. That's worse than no food. <laughs> you know? So I'm like, really? You're trying to get me to eat those? No, 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 no. They're full-size delicious hot dogs. Yeah, the Chicago dog. Like, that's that is a big thing. I remember we... Uh... I forget what we were doing, but we had some type of uh, like hot dog party, basically. Because we talked about barbecue earlier. Let's go. There's so many different hot dogs, like styles, and Chicago dog. That was the big one everyone wanted to try. Yeah. So, so how do you get down with your hot dog? Well, okay. see, I'm I'm not a big like I just eat hot dogs, and this is gonna be weird, but I kind of kind of just uh, eat it normal, just eat it plain. I'm not a big ketchup or mustard guy. Just, just in the bun, no condiments. Yeah, just go with it. I mean, you know, if it's juicy enough, that works. Yeah. I mean, like a cheeseburger, I want a lot of condiments, but I just don't really like ketchup or mustard. Uh, ketchup kind of messes with my stomach a little bit, and so uh, mustard is just not my thing either. So I just kind of raw dog it. Yeah, I uh, I enjoy a lot of ketchup on there. I'm not a relish guy. I'm not a mustard guy, but it has to have plenty of ketchup on there. Uh, if it's not some kind of cheese dog or you know beans are on there, there's other other sorts of uh, of condiments in, in the mix. But sometimes with hot dogs, like and, and call me weird. Um, I'm a little bit of, I'm health conscious, um, to a fault. And I, uh, sometimes just skip the bun. Like, I just like the, I like the meat. There's nothing and, wrong uh, with that. Yeah. You know, like someone will make hot dogs and I'll be like, yeah, I really don't need the bun. Like, I, I just feel like it's unnecessary calories sometimes. And I just, I just eat the, I get made fun of for it. I, I was, I don't know how you guys feel about that. I do. I do that. If I'm going to put down two or three, yeah. I'll, I'll skip the bun on one or two. I, I'll want one with the bun, man. I'll throw toast the bun on the grill. Yeah. And then I, I got to do, it's mustard, onion, and sauerkraut. That's it. That's all I need. Like, I'll do a chili cheese dog for oh, sure. there you go. Like, I'm down with that, but I, I'm always going to go bun, but I can really only go one hot dog. I worked at Costco, and I got a lot of Costco oh, dogs. Yeah. So, hot dogs just aren't really my thing anymore, mm. but no, I mean, it's uh, it's either plain or just give me, like, a chili cheese. I'm, I'm good with that. Did I like you- brats a lot more than hot dogs. Obviously. Oh, same. Yeah, yeah. good yeah. Brat, 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 brat buns. Brat buns are a lot better than just the typical hot dog buns for me, too. Yeah. So so you worked at Costco, man. What's your opinion on the chicken bake? I love that uh, chicken bake. I feel like all, I, I like all the ingredients in it, but when they're put together, I just don't think they taste great. So I don't know It's why. like Mario Hazonia, then. Yeah, exactly. It, it is, <laughs> that's a great example. It's the Mario Hazonia of Costco food. <laughs> <laughs> That's I'm gonna walk off on yeah, that. If, oh out. man, I have another hour. Oh man, I could have left everyone wanting more. Uh, of course, the most famous ball. I'm watching the All Star Game about to start here. Have you either? Of you guys ever had a Dodger dog? That's the most famous hot dog in the world. No, no. no I, they only had Dodger games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the you go to Chavez Ravine, or Dodger Stadium now. Yeah, yeah. You, you go down into the Dodger Stadium, get yourself a Dodger dog. They're terrible, but they're there's something about them, man. I think it's just the experience. But yeah. I imagine they're stupid expensive. I mean, just like concessions at any major league baseball game. You know, you're paying 14 bucks for a beer, and you know, eight bucks for the Dodger dog, and it's it's not good. It's about the experience. But man, I did see this. Uh, Three million Dodger dogs are going to be sold this year. Dodger dogs, so there's 30 teams, right? 30 stadiums, 15 stadiums filled at any given night. The Dodger dog makes up 15% of Major League Baseball hot dog sales. It makes up a seventh 
of hot dog sales in Major League Baseball is strictly the Dodger dog. That's insane. What are they doing to those dogs down in L.A., man? Are they doing something to them? <laughs> it sounds like it's just amazing marketing if it's not a good hot dog. I have a really tasteless joke that I can't do. I, I, I was trying to set someone up. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. But, yeah, I mean, I, it's it's not good. They're not doing anything amazing to them. I wonder if part of it is just, I mean, Dodger Stadium is always, as long as you're talking innings four through seven is full. Yeah. Everyone shows up late and leaves early. Middle, but yeah. in the middle, man, you get a Dodger dog or two, a couple cheap beers. I mean, to me, the hot dog, that's the go-to at the ballpark or the stadium. I mean, where do you guys land on concessions? Are you, are you popcorn? Are you burger? Are you nachos? No. I'm a hot dog guy. You're right. A baseball game, it's hot dog for sure. I mean, if I'm in a Mariner game, I'm always going to go garlic fries. Those oh, are, those yeah. Those are legit up in Seattle. I'm they always are. down with that. Uh, I, I'm a big uh, nacho guy. So, like, chips and cheese. Give me one of those if I'm going out to a game or something like that. You know, I, I like to buy the big can of cheese also. And I'll just, you know, we do that at, like, parties. We always have chips and cheese and nachos, and I can just dip anything in there. Sneak your own cheese into yeah. the stadium in your sock. No, dude, I could eat. I used I, to do that with a with a plastic flask at Blazer Games. I could, dip, I could dip anything in a nacho cheese, and I would love it. The goal is always to avoid concessions altogether. Like, I feel like most people can relate to that. Like, okay, we are going to do whatever it takes because we do not want to pay these prices. But when uh, when it comes to the concessions, I one one food that wasn't mentioned is chicken tenders and fries. There you go. That uh, that really is uh, one that's appealing to me. And then peanuts. You know, peanuts are affordable. They're probably the cheapest thing on the menu, and they actually they last a while, right? Like, yeah. you're, you know, it's not candy. It's not. It's not. It as, takes time. It, you got to shell them. Exactly. So like you you you're entertained. I don't know what event you're at, but if you're at a slower event, maybe a baseball game, you're entertained for a while, kind of carving up those peanuts, eating them, and you probably have that bag in your hands for thirty to forty five minutes. There you go. What's Pe- the- peanut or seeds guy? Peanuts. Seeds or peanuts? I'm a seeds peanuts. guy. If I'm playing, it's seeds, seeds, man. It's always seeds. I used to keep the big old wad of seeds in my yeah. cheek like I was ch- chewing a plug of tobacco back you know, when I was playing baseball. <laughs> but uh, I, I I don't know. I would say peanuts, but, man, it's interesting. My my kid got into sunflower seeds like a year ago, and I haven't bought seeds in a, a decade, maybe more. And I went and checked it out, and they have all sorts of new – back then it was just salt – and you can get barbecue. barbecue. Yeah. Now, they have all sorts of flavors. You can get Cool Ranch and Dill Pickle and Salt and Vinegar yeah. and all these different wild flavors yeah. now. The, the Spitz uh, the spitz Seeds. Those, yeah. those are the ones. That they, they're a little bigger. Those are the good ones to get for sure. Uh, I remember uh, my friend, and when I was in high school, he had some hookup or something with the Spitz company. And he would have like a box of spit seeds. He would sell it to all the players, and it was like an underground thing. It was it was pretty intense. If we're talking about baseball foods, you know, foods that you eat as a baseball player, I don't know if you guys grew up with Big League Chew. Absolutely. Oh my goodness, that that gum is uh, it's got to be awful for you, but it is so good. And they made it in grape flavor and just the traditional bubble gum, watermelon, green apple, and that stuff. When I played baseball, was uh was honestly better than playing the actual sport. Like, oh, we have a game today. I am going to eat an entire bag of Big League Chew. That get, was... I feel like I just got a cavity listening to that. Yeah, story. you get it in that big pouch, like you're buying a pouch of Red Man. You know, getting it. The, uh, uh, the founder of Big League Chew, we've had him on really? this very show, Rob Nelson. He came up with the idea. The legendary baseball team, the Portland Mavericks, uh, if you've ever seen the documentary, The Battered Bastards of Baseball, Rob Nelson... Uh, on that team, he was sitting in the bullpen, and he came up with the idea. And uh, 
I mean, obviously watering, just making a big league chew. Oh, I'll have to get some now. You can still get it. I don't see it in a lot of convenience stores, but it's still at some of them. I know they would have it at Rocket Fizz downtown here. Maybe after the show, I'll walk over to, if you've never been to Rocket Fizz, it's like a vintage, like 50 style, like a malt shop. Like they have all the retro candies that you can like. It's going to give you so many flashbacks. Uh, Sean, maybe you're a little young, but uh, Stephen, it'll take you back to the the 80s and uh, even prior stuff that you've heard. Like, you're, when I was your age, we would have blah, blah, blah. Candy you know? cigarettes. Yeah, like back to the 60s. Candy cigarettes. <laughs> That's so wild, too. We're talking about, we're talking about you know, bubblegum chewing tobacco, candy yeah. cigarettes. Like, I, I can't believe that ever flew as an idea. I mean, why not just have, well, let's just have uh, candy that you have to just, you put it in a spoon, and then you just light, hold a lighter under it, and then you just suck it up in a hypodermic needle, and then just suck it down. Let's go get some candy meth. You guys ready for it, or what? Yeah, this <laughs> reminds me. People used to smoke Smarties when I was in elementary and middle school. Where the hell did you go to school? <laughs> no, this was a big thing. People used to smoke Smarties. They used to inhale Smarties. Not even kidding. I, Were they, I have so many questions. I'm having a hard time <laughs> picking one. Were they okay? Yes. I, well, I don't think it was great for their health. Were these kind of the slower kids in your class? No, nope, nope. maybe the just cool the kids? ones. Maybe the ones that ended up, you know, maybe uh, like they 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 had an itch to to smoke something. So you know, maybe they ended up doing that in their future lives. But yeah, <laughs> no. it was a gateway drug. No, it was that, and it was um, it was smelling or maybe inhaling like the uh, the sharpies, not the sharpies, but like the the coloring pens. Yeah, and yeah, like you can. It's really smell, yeah. bad for you if you like smell it or you inhale it. Um, and it can it can actually be like a drug. Yeah, yeah, huffing. We yeah, dude, we had slap bracelets and pogs. <laughs> what happened between the eighties and the the two thousands, man? Mm-hmm. That is wild. It went from uh, playing little like you know jacks to pogs to inhaling and huffing things. <laughs> yeah, people would smoke Smarties. Look it up. Uh, uh, I'm good, I got, man. Okay. I don't, I I don't leave like that get, in my search history. I feel like I get fired if I do that here. I'm just wondering what's driving that. Like, it, who thought of that? Who's like, you know what? I'm gonna smoke this pack of Smarties. Is it just like, no? It tastes good. It tastes sweet. You know, the I sugar's guess, caramelized, yeah. or is it like it's gonna give me a buzz, man? <laughs> Both. No. There is nothing smarty about smoking. that. I saw my dad smoking. Now I need to smoke something. If my parents caught me smoking Smarties, they would have <laughs> beat me within an inch of my life. I, I'm trying to imagine that. If I walked in on my what my kid's room, and I'm like, hey, young man, dinner's ready. And he's just he's got some tinfoil with some crushed up Smarties. <laughs> and he's smoking it like an Oxy or something like that. I would be mortified. Something like People, I would rather catching him ca- using real, <laughs> real drugs. drugs. Real drugs. People, uh, there's something <laughs> to be said about combining kind of like that head rush that you get from nicotine or smoking Smarties with uh, a su- like sweet, you know, fruit. Like, look at the jewels. <laughs> look at jewels and the fact yeah. how well they did. And those have been kind of canceled now. But they, those did so well with they had banana flavored jewels. They had mango flavored jewels. They had all sorts of like. There's something to be said about combining that that sweetness with uh, the head rush and the the nicotine. Yeah, yeah. when I was in college, it, or you know, my first two years of college at community college, it was all about the hookah, the hookah bars. All oh that yeah, that was a that was a real big thing. Yeah, I didn't grow up in a hookah age. Yeah, that was never a thing. Yeah, that was uh, definitely in my in my past. I mean, that was like the thing. People would come over to a house and they'd all uh, you know pass around the hookah.
Yeah, man, that takes me back. And like, you would go to some weird guy's house and like, <laughs> oh, they have a giant hookah. Yeah. Let's get down. But yeah, that was the big thing in college, wasn't it? Too. I went to Portland State down the street, and it, whether you're going to an actual hookah bar or again just the basement yeah. of some dude's dingy house, some we, guy that's too into it. He's just a little too into it. You're like, this is a little creepy. Like telling you the difference between all of them, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, this is Latakia. It's huh. and that's that's Syrian Latakia that comes in that. And it's not that uh, Cypriot stuff. You're like, bro, you really care about your hookah tobacco. It came in a foil-wrapped package. It can't be that gourmet, man. I feel like my college years, from your guys' college years, it went from hookah to marijuana when it became legalized, and suddenly everyone was smoking. Oh, no, we we did that, too. Right? Yeah, well, yeah, but it was, I mean, the the evolution of marijuana with how acceptable it is now compared to where it was when you guys were in college. I'm just saying I haven't seen a lot of hookah in uh you know just around and I I don't know anyone that that participates in smoking hookah but uh, for me not for me but uh for for those around me it's it's all marijuana and nicotine. Yeah, it makes sense. It, hookah's fun. It was cool. It tastes good. It's not something that I'd regularly do though. The thing is is it so smooth and it does it's sweet you know it's i mean if we're being honest it's clearly marketed to young people uh but it's really easy to kind of overdo it and i enjoy a good cigar i enjoy uh some good pipe tobacco but man if you sit too long at that hookah you stand up and oh boy it's it can get heavy duty yeah i mean i was never into it but i just know you know it was the big thing when i was there and i'm, I'm with you as well like you uh, sean you're talking about the you know weed and everything i mean weed was big when we were in college as well it just mm. you know it, it just was illegal and so everyone thought it was even cooler than uh hookah or anything yeah i mean i was in eugene and it was it was pretty much legal so yeah it was it was huge I mean, it was pretty much was... legal in eugene before it was legal. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Eugene's one of the birthplaces of it oh man it, it, somehow we went from uh hot dogs dodger dogs <laughs> to smoking smarties <laughs> and this was after talking about barbecue Oh, that's right, man. It, clearly, I'm just hungry. That's yeah. that's what this is going. I, I assure you, though, I am not going to go to the drugstore and buy a 10 cent, uh, or I'm assuming Smarties are till, still 10 cents. Maybe they're 50 cents now. I'm not going to crush that up and smoke it on tinfoil. That is horrible. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so offended by that idea, like more than I should be. I mean, look, you, you, you go through the city and you see tragic tales of, uh, you know, addiction and drug abuse and all these things, and it's it's literally no laughing matter i'm more offended by the idea of kids smoking smarties like there's so many things wrong with that well how (laughs) how old were you guys when you guys are smoking smarties oh man probably middle school is a big thing that sounds like a middle school yeah it's a middle school thing that and trapping yourself in your locker man do i have some stories (laughs) about that in the locker yeah (laughs) some crazy (laughs) stuff in middle school i want i want you i want you to do me a favor you don't have to actually touch base with the people like because i know right now in don't name them but you can think of three or four names of these kids that did that i want you to just tonight casually jump on facebook if you're not on in touch with them and i just want you to see how their lives are going right because the kind of kid that's gonna they're doing well no, no, no 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 A a middle schooler that's going to make the decision to smoke candy, I'm going to guess their (laughs) lives aren't going exactly as they planned. You know what I mean? Or maybe there was no plan. You feel me? Maybe that was the plan, yeah. That was the plan. I'm just going to hang out and smoke candy, bro. Man. Gateway. Yeah, that's terrible. All right, go away, come back. Back to sports on the other side. Peter Sampson for Gonzano. It's the BFD.
Welcome back to the program. Peter Sampson in for John Cazano, BFT. <laughs> After all that smoke and Smarties talk, I've gotten more than one tweet about snorting pixie sticks, so thank you for that on Twitter at Peter Sampson, S-A-M-P-S-O-N. One pitch into the All-Star game, Shohei Otani has just singled off of Clayton Kershaw, and we are underway. Got a few All-Star interesting facts. So first of all, we all know that the uh, the uh, winner of the uh, All Star Game in Major League Baseball that uh, that league has home field advantage in the World Series. Uh, it's been pretty clear that the American League has dominated. They've won eight straight years, man. And I always wondered how much of that had to do with maybe the DH. And just you have an extra pool of uh, of talented players that can just get up and swing the bat once or twice. I don't think it's that, though. The American League has just simply dominated. So uh, that's always been interesting to me. Uh, it's Albert Pujols' final appearance, assuming he actually does retire at the end of the season like he's planned. Miguel Cabrera, it's probably his final one, too, unless they, he's going to retire after next season, unless they name him to the legacy team again. Mike Trout, who was named an all-star but did not play and was subsequently placed on the 10-day IL with some uh, some injured ribs, he's been an all-star every season of his career except his rookie year where he played 40 games and in 2020 where there was no all-star game as Shohei Otani just gets picked off of first base by uh, Clayton Kershaw there. That's beautiful. Uh, Miguel Cabrera does lead active players with the most all-star appearances with 12. Albert Pujols is second with 11. I already mentioned they're both legacy selections this year. This is interesting. Uh, For a four-year stretch, 1959 to 1962, they actually did two all-star games each year. They would uh, run a double header there. I can't imagine how that works. I I mean, I I wonder if it makes sense because... uh, there wasn't as much, uh, you know, Major League Baseball wasn't really nationally broadcast on a consistent basis. You had your first national game in the late 40s. Uh, was, radio was still king there. So I wonder if they did it just to double up the uh, the gate receipts mattered a lot more uh, back then. Uh, and, of course, if you guys, one of you can name uh, who is the Major Leaguer, without looking it up, who has the most career all-star appearances? Derek Jeter. I have no idea. Hank Aaron, 25 mm. straight All-Star games for hammering Hank. That's the thing is, um, I want to say, so, uh, you know, for the longest time, he was the uh, the uh, career home run leader with 755. I want to say he only led the league in home runs once, but it was one of those things. He played, you know, 25 and a half years, and he was just good for 30, 30 to 40 every single season. Consistency, man. That's Consistency. What, it's what does it. It's what does it. So, uh, yeah, Major League Baseball All-Star Game underway. It's a packed house. It's fine. I I, I am looking for ways for them to sort of uh, bring it uh, to more modern relevance. But in general, does Major League Baseball have the best All-Star Game? Is it the NBA? I, I mean, you could tell me the Pro Bowl. You'd be wrong. It's not the Pro Bowl. I'm trying to think about all of them. I'm thinking about NHL? the NHL. Uh, no, MLS? I don't. Yeah, the MLS is solid because sometimes they do their all stars against like Bayern Munich or Barcelona. Right. Like that's pretty cool how they do that. No other sport can can hail in comparison to that. But uh, I think both are really good. I would I, I favor the NBA. I'm biased because I'm a much more of a basketball fan than a, a baseball fan. But I think those 
both of them do a really nice job. I like how this is at Dodgers Stadium, and uh, the uniforms are really cool this year, and Clayton Kershaw's pitching. I think they're doing a lot of nice jobs with this baseball, or a lot of nice things with this baseball All-Star game this year. I mean, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm not a fan of any of the All-Star games, so I don't, I don't usually watch any of them. Even the NBA, like I'm a big NBA guy, I don't watch the All-Star game. I think it's pretty boring and it's not even real basketball because, like you said earlier, we talked about it. They don't play defense. It's just not. It's not fun for me. So, I mean, I guess I don't know. It sounds like MLS might have the best All Star game. I'm not. I'm not even you know familiar with that. So I'm not a fan of any of the All Star games to be honest. Where the NBA, I I don't mind the NBA. I like the fourth quarter of the All Star game, and I like it the last two years, and that's it. Yeah, the elementing's cool. Yeah, because they actually try. The one thing that's been interesting about the NBA All Star game is is, I mean. So much of it's like the dunk contest has lost its luster so much, man. I mean, I grew up when it was Dominique and and Spud Webb won it. I mean, I remember as a kid those legendary uh, dunk contests in the '80s, and it's it's nothing even remotely like that anymore. I still like the three point contest. Skills challenge is kind of interesting, but it's it's just lost a little bit of it, of its luster. I mean. One thing I really miss, uh, Major League Baseball, and I think it's a downside that, uh, you know, the players make so much money now, is it, back in the day, you used to get the old-timers game. And you would have, like, Mickey Mantle out there and Billy Martin and Harmon Killebrew and even Bob Feller out there. But the guys don't need that, you know, oh, we'll give you $50,000 to come do this thing. Well, that doesn't matter to these guys anymore. But it would be really cool to see, uh, you know, some of the the old players, you know, from the 80s and 90s up, you know, they're in their 50s, 60s now. But they could still get out there. And it's essentially, it's... It's it's a slow pitch softball game, except someone's just you know some old pitcher who's sixty five years old is lobbing it and overhand it sixty five seventy miles an hour. It's nothing impressive, but it's fun to see those go, those guys out there because I mean those are the guys that we in theory would have watched when we were kids. So I wish they would bring that back to some degree because I can tell you I don't care about an influencer game. I I I do not care. I could not care less. Celebrity game, you're not into it. Not no no not at all. But I would love to see like man if if they'd get you know like Cal Ripken out there and and some of those older guys from the '80s. I think that that would be great to see. See Vince Coleman trying to do it without any speed now. You know. Yeah, the the NBA All Star Game is really I like. Steve and I get it. They don't play defense. But what's cool about it is that you just see some of those guys, the best basketball players in the world, do some crazy things out there. Like, even in the first three quarters before they ramp it up, like, last year Steph Curry hit, what was it, 15 threes or something like yeah. that? He won MVP in one of them. He uh, he turned around. He did his, you know, his trademark turnaround three, but he did it from, like, the logo. It was crazy. And then, like, Giannis has had some crazy dunks. You'll see LeBron do something insane. Like, every once in a while, you, you know, you turn on that game, and it, it's kind of fun to watch the best in the world go at it. And MLB, it's a little, it's obviously a different sport. It doesn't allow for that kind of creative freedom, and it's it's slower paced. But uh, it's, it's cool that this one's a little bit more competitive, at least. Like, yeah. it's the best players in the world, and it's a competitive game. Like, I didn't even know until you said that, and, you know, I, I'm probably one of the only people that doesn't know that the winner of this all-star game gets home field advantage. That's huge. In a game so seven, players are matters. trying. Yeah. 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 For ba- I mean, for basketball, I like the three-point contest. The, the dunk contest has lost, like you said, a lot of luster because the, the big names don't do it. There's no reason for them to do it. Like, if they win, they're expected to win. If they lose, everyone's going to make fun of them on Twitter. Right. So there's no point to do the dunk contest. But the three-point contest, they get the stars to do that. I like watching that. I like watching those skills. But I understand what you're saying, Sean, about the all-star game. It's just, it's just not my thing. Like, I just... I don't. It doesn't get me going to watch, you know, Ja do a cool dunk or Steph hit, Steph hit a bunch of shots. Like it just, 
It's just not for me. Like, I know that they can do that, and they do it in the games, and I'd rather just see it uh, in the regular season. We we haven't talked about this yet uh, on the show. Maybe you guys hit it while I was on vacation on The Pulse, but uh, what I'm more excited about than NBA All-Star Weekend, man, is the in-season tournament. I know a lot of people are opposed to this, and in theory, I get it. I love the idea, though, because, look, teams that are in championship, legit championship contention, man, they're not going to play their main guys in here. And it gives, like, if you're a fan of, I mean, like the Orlando Magic or, or, you know, some bad team, the Sacramento Kings, like, this is a chance where you can actually play for something that, it, don't get me wrong, it doesn't matter like a championship, but like, hey, we can actually get something here. And then meanwhile, for the uh, the teams that are really in contention, like the Warriors, that's where you're going to see Kaminga and Wiseman and Moody and those guys. And not to mention, man, fans of NBA teams... We always have so much love for the end of the bench guy. Oh, man, if like the Blazers a couple years, Luis Montero, if he just got some time, he would develop into something, I swear. And you know that that's not true. It's not even remotely true, but it's part of being a fan. That's when you get to see those guys. And if some scrub that's that's barely a player doesn't win a championship but just wins a game with the buzzer beater, he's an instant legend within the fan base of that team. I think it's a brilliant idea. I would love to see that coincide with maybe taking 10 games off the NBA schedule, which will never happen because there's too much revenue at risk if they cut that. But I love the idea of the end-season tournament. Well, just like the Summer League, like, Something like doesn't matter, but the Blazers have won two out of the last four seasons, and people in Portland care about it. Like it's something fun to cheer for. So I'm with you. I, I like the idea of an in-season tournament. I don't know what exactly it would be played for. Like what the what the reward is. I think that's the big question. But I'm down for it as a guy who likes to bet on things. Give me more things to bet on. Right. I'm down to watch it. Yeah, without a doubt. What is the best All Star event? What is it? Not the game itself. We'll throw the whole uh, festivities, the weekend, if you will. Of course, here we are on a Tuesday. Major League Baseball is Monday and Tuesday for the break. NHL, MLS, <laughs> you could try to tell me it's the Pro Bowl. It's not. Uh, you know, is it uh, Is it the NBA? What is it? 503-417-7575. Leave it here. Welcome back to the programs, The Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. He will be back next week out of Camp Exceptional, doing good for the community at the moment. I'm trying to see who that is that just went deep for the National League. But, uh... Goldschmidt. Oh, there you go. Paul Goldschmidt. So, the National League in the bottom of the first is up on the American League. 2 nothing in the MLB All-Star Game. Of course, Ailes taking eight straight. The winner, uh, the winning league has home field advantage in the World Series. So, NL2, Ailes 0 in the bottom of the first. Bruce is in Beaverton. He wants to talk about it. What's on your mind, Bruce? If we could punch Bruce up. What's going on, Bruce? Uh, you're absolutely wrong about the home field advantage. That lasted for about five years in response to the tie, and it hasn't been around since 2016. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, it, it was a horrible idea. It was a ceiling idea that Manfred immediately got rid of. Okay, Probably interesting. Probably the only good thing he's done is commissioner. <laughs> That's a fair point. I'd appreciate the call, Bruce and Beaverton. Yeah, it looks like they uh, they uh, did get rid of that. Uh, but uh, after the unusual uh, 
circumstances of the coronavirus uh, pandemic created in a once-in-a-lifetime situation in 2020. Home field advantage rules for the World Series back on. Yeah, it looks like that ran from 2003 to 2016. So it looks like maybe they did get rid of that. So I appreciate the uh, correction there. I'm just rooting for the National League. I'll be honest. I'm an NL guy. I don't like the universal DH. They added that this year. I've, I talked yesterday on the show about all the great changes that baseball's making. I understand why they do it. It doesn't make sense to have differences in each league with all the amount of interleague play that they do. I understand that a lot of people don't watch a guy that hits a buck 30 because he's he stopped hitting after high school. But I love the strategy that it adds to the game. You know what I mean? I love the idea of the bunt. I love the idea of the opposite field grounder to push a guy to third base. And with a lot of the the, the universal DH, you just lose that, man. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I kind of like I like the universal DH, but I do like this fact that I want more strategy in baseball. Uh, you know, we talked about this yesterday. Baseball can be such a beautiful game, and it's – it is slow, but it's meant to be played slow and meant to be played that way. But now with the pitch clocks coming in, hopefully it speeds it up just quite a little bit to make it a little more exciting. But there is a lot of strategy that can go into a baseball game, and we've kind of lost that with analytics. It's all about the home runs. It's all about the walks. And, you know, walk and hit a two-run bomb, and then that's how you get two runs, right? So right. I'm with you. It's like try to get a little more strategy because it can make baseball. I think for that might not be – Great for the younger audience, though, Peter. I think for the older audience, it's great to get the get the game of uh, you know hit home runs and things like that. I don't know if they want to see the strategy and the slow pace. I, again, I think the pitch clock is going to help with that a huge amount. I mean, it's it's you know the NBA especially constant excitement. You got to pay attention to the whole thing. There, I, I do think that there's something about the uh, the slower pace, and it's it's interesting that uh, getting a lot of the the peak athletes, you know, as they once they get into high school, they we all know they go to they uh, focus on basketball, they focus on football, and there's been a real concerted effort to keep these guys playing baseball through high school, potentially into college. Uh, so many people get drafted out of high school in Major League Baseball, and they might go pro, they might go to college, who knows. But it's interesting, uh, a lot of that uh, that focus, it, it appears is starting to pay dividends. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I, I saw a report where it was something, uh, a decent percentage of uh, first-rounders this year were part of this initiative. There's also another initiative uh, to get more, uh, get more uh, uh, black youth uh, staying with baseball, yeah. and and I, th- part of that initiative, it was like six of the top 20 picks were part That's of awesome. that initiative. It's great. It's interesting, by the way, another thing notable, the NBA, or the uh, MLB draft, you know, just wrapped up, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, Mark McGuire's son, Mason, was drafted by the Cubs in the eighth round. Justin Holl- or, uh, Holiday's son, Jackson, and Andrew Jones' son, Drew, were the top two picks. Yeah. I mean... Is it just me, or are we seeing more? And this goes for the NBA as well. Are we seeing a lot more father-son combinations here? Yeah, you might be right about that. Uh, yeah, Jackson Jaha was John Jaha's son. Yeah. He was went to Clackamas. That's where my wife uh, t- taught and coached. So I watched him play in high school. He got drafted by the Mets today. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if we're just noticing it now, but yeah, it does seem like there's a lot more people that have uh, family ties, whether it is with the same sport or different sports, right? Like t- people are uh, translating over to other sports. So, you know, we got Bronny coming up. We got uh, Manning. Manning. Yeah, the Arch Manning right there. Uh, Kendrick Perkins, I know his, he always sports his son a lot. There's so many in the yeah, NBA, too. So many. And, and we're seeing a lot in Major League Baseball. It makes me feel old where I'm like, man, I, I remember when that kid's dad was a rookie. Yeah. I mean, of course, you know. Uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr., one of the stars, uh, young stars in Major League Baseball. Like I remember when his his dad came up and was a hot young prospect, and uh, 
uh, ultimately uh, never saw a pitch out of the zone he didn't like, but he made amazing contact. And now it's like, man, now his kid's like three years in, in Major League yeah. Baseball. It's wild. And I wonder if it's, I mean, having that access, you know, is as, uh, you know, training and medicals and all those sorts of things, uh, you know, advance, not to mention the, uh, the money that's available to sort of support kids. It's a lot more of like, no, I went through that and it was rough and your odds of making it, they're so small, you know, go be a lawyer. It's, it's a lot better career option. Now it's like, well, you know, I've got 75 million in the bank. I can support you and I can teach you all the, you know, all the training techniques that have advanced so, so far. You like, you got great odds. Well, just look at the Warriors this year. I mean, Steph Curry, obviously his dad played, mm-hmm. but Clay Thompson's dad, uh, yeah. Andrew Wiggins' dad played in the NBA as well. So it's like, yeah, I mean, a lot three of, on one team. Yeah. The three of their better players. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I, I think there is something to it where they have, they're around the game all the time. They see the professionalism that this is because it is a job. Like, it's not just going out there and playing sports. Like it is a job, and you have to treat it that way. And so they take their body very seriously, and they get into that type of shape. So, and then the, of course, you know, they have the genes to the be genetics. Ahead. That the was genetics the genetics to be thing. ahead of everybody yeah. else. So yeah, I mean, I think you're right on with that. Yeah, it's interesting because I mean, of course, you know, Brett and Aaron Boone. That was really because their dad, Bob Boone, uh, played in the uh, the '80s. I, he, I think he played in the '70s as well. And of course, that one, even uh, his dad, Ray Boone. Uh, played in the I think it was the fifties, might have been the forties. So they were there were three in a row. But I remember it was really notable. Like wow, these these two brothers play in Major League Baseball, and their father played. And now like you you just see it everywhere you go. So yeah, it's real. I wonder if anyone's actually done a study on that. Because I mean, for all I know, the percentage hasn't gone up, and it's just something I wasn't really tracking when I was younger. But it it feels like it's something. I think a lot of it though is uh. You know, in, when it's the 50s and you're making uh, you know, a middle-class wage, you know, some of the spa- stars made over $100,000, yeah. but you're you're essentially making a middle-class wage. And, of course, if you uh, only make it to the minor league level, boy, oh, boy, we're going to talk about that uh, on the local show in the next hour, yeah. uh, the wages that minor leaguers uh, make and what Rob Manfred said today about them. It really is better advice to go, man, just go to college and just get it, just be an accountant. It's better. It also seems like there might be more, and again, I need probably should do research on this and check yeah. out Google, but it seems like there's more like juniors, right? Like there's Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and uh, Kenyon Martin Jr. who goes to KG Martin. Like, seems like they uh, a lot more juniors that we recognize this as well. And that's a ton of pressure to put on someone. Not only are <laughs> you the son or daughter of an iconic athlete, whoever it is, uh, or you know, even just a big time athlete, doesn't even have to be iconic. But you are, like, that's a lot of pressure in its own right, but then you are attaching that junior name. So suddenly you're, you're Kenyon Martin Jr. Uh, is Bronny James technically LeBron James Jr.? LeBron yeah. James Jr., yeah. That's a ton of pressure. It is. It's a lot. I mean, you know, if, if Jabari Walker was Samaki Walker Jr., I'd be, it, there would be even just for that role player that never was a star or even a starter a lot of the time, there's that little bit of added, like, huh, I'm going to live up to your old man. And instead, I didn't even know he's Samaki Walker's kid until, like, his third summer league game. Yeah, I, and honestly, like, that could have improved his draft stock, too. Like, if he was Samaki Walker Jr., like, I think that honestly could help because well people coached. are going to recognize their name. Yeah, like, fans are going to be like, oh, that's a good pick. His dad played in the NBA. He, he's obviously been around. doesn't matter if he's good or not. Like, fans are going to like it. I feel like it varies quite a bit on – whether you're better than your parent or not. You know, like Steph yeah. Curry obviously is a better player than Del Curry, but then you have uh, you have players, you have people that, uh, you know, like are not going to be as talented as their father. Like, you know, LeBron James Jr. And uh, what's the other son's name? I'm forgetting it right now. Um, 
I don't remember. Yeah, no, I, Bryce, Bryce. So, like, those those people are not going to be better than their parent. But then, like, Vlad Guerrero Jr., it seems like he, he's on a trajectory to potentially be better than... Oh, than, he's, he's better than his dad already. It, it, so, yeah, it feels like it, it varies quite a bit. There's not one clear trend where, you know, when, when you have an athlete that has a kid, you know, like, usually they're not as good. Like, I feel like it's, it's kind of all over the place. And then yeah. you got Jeremy Grant, who's... Kind of like his dad, Harvey Grant. Like, they're the exact same type of player. You know, good role players on teams, but never really like a star oh, of the team. man. If Jeremy Grant's as disappointed in Portland as Harvey Grant was, yeah. I remember that trade, and I was so stoked. You look at his numbers, and you go, man, Harvey plays a lot different than his brother, Horace. But this is a dude averaging 18 points a game for yeah. uh, the Bullets back then. They're the Wizards now, obviously. Man, Portland needs this. It's money. And he came to Portland and was absolutely mediocre. Cool dude. Vet, like just a, a typical pro, man. The guy was right. a pro, but man, his performance fell off a cliff. And I think he averaged, you know, he was like an 11 point per game guy. Absolutely not what the Blazers were expecting. It's so funny, though, that, yeah, like uh, Jeremy Grant's birthday, nine months almost to the day after uh, Harvey Grant got traded to Portland. So I think he was really happy to get out of D.C., man. Yeah, I just pulled up the stats for uh, Harvey. So in 92 93, averaged 18 and a half points a game. Uh, for the Bullets. Came to the Blazers, 10 and a half the next season. Yeah, see, it's 30 years later, and I'm still bitter, or 25 years later, I'm still bitter about it, man. Yeah, no. I'm it's, a, it's true. It's true. It went from his uh, age 27 to 28 season. So uh, It is prime. You, you look at Jeremy Grant, uh, what was last year? 27. Now he's going to be 28. So it's the exact same as his dad when he came to Portland. And he scored 19 points a game last season, I believe. 19 he, points a game last season. So, so expect about, what, 10, 11 this year? Yeah. Awesome. Man, I'm excited. I hope not. That's that, that's going to be very, very disappointing. I'm expecting Jeremy Grant to be in the 15 range. I think that's what I do as well. I think Jeremy Grant, in this offense especially, he's not going to be expected to score 20 a night. Like He's going to have a lot of one-on-ones where he's going to get open shots. Without a doubt. All right, we'll go away, come back, and wrap things up on the other side. A little bit of NFL news to close up shop. Peter Sampson in for Gonzano. It's the BFT. segment of the BFT. Appreciate you rolling with me this afternoon. If you're in Portland, keep it here. I'll keep it going for another hour with my show, The Pulse. You can always grab a podcast of that program. If you uh, don't listen in market. It's worth talking. Oh, yeah, there there it is. There's the uh, there's the intro for it. Uh, so we just gave you a two-second taste of The Pulse. You can always grab a podcast of that show if you aren't able to listen live or if you don't listen in Portland or somewhere else in the Northwest. You can always grab that. Just search for The Pulse with Peter Sampson wherever you get a podcast little NFL news. So Deshaun Watson is still waiting on the <laughs> We all good? Sorry, we good? Yeah, yeah, we're we're good now. We're good now. All right, man. I mean, if you want to keep rolling the Nirvana, I'm good with that yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, you want it? Yeah, yeah, hit me. There we go. We can just keep that on the back. Play now, now. Yeah, man. That's good. That's a little aneurysm for you. Yeah. Uh, but Deshaun Watson is uh waiting on the NFL's decision on a potential suspension and now apparently he's already working on a plan B here. Now, this is interesting. Uh, He intends to file a lawsuit in federal court against the NFL 
if the league suspends him for the full 2022 season. So where we're at now, he settled with 20 of the 24 women uh, that have filed suit against him. The Houston Texans have reached settlements with all 30 women that claim the franchise was culpable to some degree in his alleged sexual misconduct. I mean, I expect he's going to be suspended for the full year here. Now, it wouldn't surprise me if the NFL does something terrible and gives him, you know, three games or something like that. But honestly, I'm expecting the whole year here. And they they had the arbiter kind of hear everything. And the the thing is, is, is this isn't binding arbitration. This person can rule whatever they want. And the NFL, Roger Goodell, can come in and go, okay, that's all fine and dandy, but we're going to do this. I mean, first of all, do we expect, I personally do expect him, he's going to be suspended for the full 2022 season. Uh, am I off base there? And does he have a case if he sues? I think he has a case legally because he sues because he was never found guilty of anything. So, like, he does have a case. But I think it's the most obvious choice, if you're Roger Goodell, to suspend him for the whole year. And there's not going to be anybody except for probably Browns fans and a few other people here and there that are not going to like that decision. But it seems like it's such a win for the NFL to say, you know what, we're going to put our foot down right here. It's a year-long suspension. And then let it play out after that because that's what everyone's going to want. Like, you can't go too short on this one. Right. We've seen so many different cases of suspensions that are too short. you got to go longer on this one because yeah. this is a very serious thing. High profile. This one's high profile. I mean, we've seen the NFL – like we all know it, like they've they've done some Ray with, Rice, right? There's been some that one was high profile. They really screwed that one up. But then there's been other ones that you know maybe are a little bit under the rug or you know less talked about. Um, and those people get pretty small allegations, and uh, only the serious fans really know about it and criticize them for it. But this one, I feel like this is kind of a household story, right? You know, so I feel like they they can't screw this one up, and uh, I think it's the obvious choice to. Suspend him for the whole year, and, and if that's the case, if, if we're talking football here, I, the Browns just traded away Baker Mayfield, and <laughs> I, I like the Browns roster, and man, I just I can't understand this move, why they chose to uh, bring on Deshaun Watson, cut loose with Baker Mayfield. I just feel like they could have made a better decision at the quarterback position, and now I don't even know who their backup is. Is it Case Keenum? It's Jacoby Brissett. Jacoby Brissett. So they're going to go Jacoby Brissett at the quarterback. Enjoy that, Browns. Well, Enjoy it's, it. It's because Deshaun's awesome. Like, when he's on the field, he's yeah. a really good NFL player, and that's why they made that decision. But it almost, you know, it, they, they knew he's going to get suspended. They changed his salary and his contract, so he's only making $1 million this exactly. year. Exactly. That's so, such that a slap is, in the face, too, like isn't they, it? They know that he should be suspended yeah. the whole year, and he knows it, and so they changed the contract for that reason. So, yeah, like, they got to do it for the whole year. They planned the contract out for this reason. That's just disappointing. Like, that contract is just one of those things where you just – it's – uh, that one's tough, you know? Like, just seeing the fact that the NFL, they were – you were able to make that happen or the Browns were able to make that happen, but uh, just that, that contract really frustrates and infuriates me. Yeah, so if he I, – I expect that to happen. I Apparently, he's going to sue. The, the real challenge he's going to come across is the, uh, the uh, morals clause, the behavior clause that's in these contracts. And I know a lot of people are comparing this to, uh, you know, Robert Kraft. Well, guess what? There's no a morals clause or ethics clause to be an an owner. There's just not. Uh, I know sometimes we wish that maybe there was, right, Blazer fans? But it's the way that it is. Uh, the players absolutely do have that, and it's a matter of whether this falls under that clause. And, of course, you know, there's different allegations regarding what actually happened, how much was consensual, how much was 
coerced, allegedly. And uh, so I think that's what's ultimately going to really play out in court if it goes that route. If I'm Deshaun Watson, though, man, with the contract having been loaded the way it was, backloaded, which is so funny because you never see that. Contracts are always front-loaded in the NFL if you're having anything done like that. I mean, you know, I wouldn't want to expose myself to discovery or anything like that. It's going to be much more public. I'm taking the only $1 million hit out of the $240 million contract, and I'm coming back next year, and I'm hoping everyone forgets it. But that's just going to prolong this in everyone's memory. It's insane that he's the guy that got all the guaranteed money. Out of all the quarterbacks in the NFL, it's that guy that got it. I know it's wild. It's, it's 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 not Josh Allen. It's it's not Pat Mahomes. It's not any of these guys. Well, those it's not guys even, have been taken care of as well. But that's, it's the but contract we're talking it, about. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's it's wild. It's the Browns deserve this, man. They really do. We talked about it on the pulse. Stop rooting for this team. If you're a Browns fan, I'm sorry. What did we decide? Dolphins. Dolphins. Yeah, you're a Dolphins fan now. We we got we got room on the Rams bandwagon, by the way. You're welcome to mm. join that as well. With that, I am out of time. If you're in Portland, keep it here. Peter Sampson in for Kanzano. It's been the BFT.